2: Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs
3: Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
0: seconds on the clock that'll
1: bring up the Zamboni in Minnesota 5-2 win for the Blues third period natural hat trick for Tarasenko 30 save performance for Jordan
0: Bennington and the Blues come home with a 3-2 series lead for a little
3: home cooking in game six.
0: Hey, alongside Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. We are live at Enterprise Center where the Blues are already on the ice. Oh. for morning skate prior to game number six tonight, it's going to be a late one. Hope you got your coffee ready. It should be brewing late this evening as it is an 8.50 puck drop. You'll hear pregame coverage, extended pregame coverage with Alex Ferrario, Tanner Hendrickson, and myself from 6 until 7.30. And then we got 7.30 to 8.30 as the regular, quote-unquote, pregame coverage. And then we've got puck drop with Joey and Curbs coming up later on tonight. Alex, how you doing today, buddy?
1: you smell that, BK? Just take a big whiff of it right now. You smell it? That's elimination playoff hockey you're smelling right there. That's what you're smelling. you smell that back there,
4: T-Bone? I smell it. It smells like wild burning.
1: Oh, (laughs) smells like tree forest. That's right. Tree forest. Forest? Smoky Bear nope. ain't
4: happy today. The Wild are burning and they're going down in six. Make sure you uh, avoid I've those forest, forest fires. I've fire been two and a
0: half
1: years, so I can't that's, smell it Well, that's your <laughs> fault. It's
0: your Well, trust us when we end. say you can smell it. Blues are on the ice. Uh, a quick update on what they've got going on today. They have changed up the lines a bit. Oh, yeah? It's Shan O'Reilly and Perron. They're a fourth line tonight? As expected. Buchnevich is with Thomas and Tarasenko. Oh, that Thomas line Sankvich has line.
1: The Thomas Sankovich line is back, boys. You've got Saad, Barbie, and Kyrou,
0: and then the fourth line, kind of, is Torup
1: Chanker
0: <laughs> and Bozak. Walker is skating with them today. Sorry, Alex but yeah, using like, Logan Brown will, a seventh will not defenseman. play tonight it looks like they're going to go 11 and seven once again Perunovic is probably going to be that seventh defenseman he's been working with the power play unit so that's what you've got tonight makes a lot of sense Alex Bennington expected to be in net once again not any huge changes but a little shift there with Thomas being reunited with Thomas and Buchnevich
1: yeah I think they I think at some point in that game five Craig Berube Took Thomas off of the line, then put him on the line, then back off the line, just finding something to get that line going. But I think by the end of that game, Craig Berube just kind of established the fact that, look, they're going to have to fight through this. But it's no coincidence they go back to that line because they're on home ice and they get that final change and now they can do the mismatch. I truly believe Craig Berube has found – and figured something out with this matchup of the Minnesota Wild of knowing which line that he can exploit. So no coincidence that he looks at Thomas and says, "We're putting you back with the line that was so good at the last month of the season." And in a Game Six elimination game, that might be a line you really be focusing on, focusing in on if you're Craig Berube.
0: And I think there's going to be some adjustments on the other side as well. I was reading Michael Russo from the Athletic, and he basically said, like, "Hey, the Wilds have been outcoached." so far in this series. If you're just looking at the adjustments that we've seen the Blues make, they've at every turn made the necessary adjustments almost proactively as opposed to being reactive to what the Wild are doing. And he thinks, Michael Russo of The Athletic, who covers the Wild in Minnesota, he's covered them for the last 20 years, he believes it's time for them to make some adjustments as well. Alex, I know we talked about this before the show today. We also agree they will likely do that. What are you expecting to see that will be different from the Wild in game number six from what we've seen from them in the first five games of this series?
1: Well, first things first, I, I, I think if you're Dean Evison, you, you change the goaltender. Um, and by no means does that mean that Marc-Andre Fleury has been the reason that they lost, although he has not been the great Marc-Andre Fleury that T-Bone was expecting going into this series. And... I understand Cam Talbot has been lit up by the Blues in the past, but you take the two Blues games that he lost down the stretch in the regular season, he was the better goaltender of the two. And look at what the Blues did. They made the switch after game three to Jordan Bennington just because they wanted a spark. So I can see Dean Evison looking and saying, we're going to put Cam Talbot in between the pipes and see if he can give us a little bit of a spark. But I also think they're going to do a couple of things. They're going to change defensively. I don't know who comes out. My guess is maybe Alex Goligowski or John Merrill, and they're going to go a little bit more offensive defenseman. Uh, Dmitry Kulikov, I would expect to get back into the game just because he's got a little offensive upside. And I don't expect to see Nicholas Delorier for the rest of this series, whether it's this game and game seven or just this game, because I think the Blues did their job with Delorier. They basically made him useless. If they're not going out there and trying to get into stuff and throwing fists, DeLaurier has nothing to do. I think he's played only like eight minutes in this playoffs so far, averaging. So I think they're going to probably look at either a Bukestad or a Connor Dewar, and they're going to put one of those two guys in. I think they're going to have to try and find a fourth line that can combat the Blueses, Bozak, Torpchenko, and whomever they're going to put out.
0: Yeah, I, I expect some big changes. The one that I think is most significant, though, because. Let's be honest, the fourth line they're playing in the wild, it, they're not getting a whole lot of ice no. time. So Two of the three gonna, don't play. It's not really going to impact this series, this game in a massive way. The decision in net could, though. And the, the Blues plan of action over the last couple of games has been basically throw as many pucks at the net and then be there for those rebounds. Mm-hmm. And it's been smart because we talked about this early on. The Blues have talked about it. They know Marc-Andre Fleury, it does not have very good rebound control. I heard Jamie talking about this yesterday on the Fastlane. I thought he he described it well. He is a good first shot goalie at this point in his career. After that, everything is just chaos in front of him. And there are plenty of juicy rebounds with opportunities to score coming off of those. And the Blues have done a really good job of capitalizing over the last couple of games. If you're looking at five on five, the Blues have outscored the Wilds in the last two games six to two the two games prior to that they were outscored at five on five by a score of seven to one so it's flipped five on five flipped this series I think the Blues can have a similar plan of attack against Cam Talbot and they've solved that riddle in the past as well they haven't had any issues with him they've done very well against Talbot do you think that presents a different problem though for the Blues to be able to solve in game six?
1: I don't because I don't think it matters if it's Cam Talbot or Marc-Andre Fleury or any goaltender. Uh, The way to beat them is with bodies in front of the net. And I think the way that they've exposed Minnesota in this series hasn't been because of Marc-Andre Fleury. It's because they have a smaller stature group of defensemen. They can find a way to work their way into... The crease. I mean, a, g- a perfect example was that second Vladimir Tarasenko goal where it was Ivan Barbashev going to the front of the net to create the screen and take Flurry's eyes away. He outmuscled Jared Spurgeon to the front of the net. Like Jared Spurgeon is a smaller stature defenseman that you can get in front of Matt Dumba. The Blues have bigger players than that. So I think regardless if it's Cam Talbot or if it Mark Marc-Andre Fleury, The Blues have solved the defense for the Minnesota Wild in terms of just putting bodies in front of the net, and I just went and pulled this up. So you take out the two losses that Cam Talbot had to the Blues since the trade deadline. He was undefeated in regulation, lost one game in overtime. Here's what his save percentages were. 1,000 with a shutout, 964, 962, 952, Nine thirty nine, nine twenty nine, and in an eight seventy five, so he was the better goaltender than Mark Andre Fleury. But he has, I think, he's one and eight against the Blues in the last couple of seasons. Not great, not great at all. It, it has nothing to do with rebound control or anything like that. The Blues just know how to beat Cam Talbot, and I think that comes to being able to outwork the defenseman of the Minnesota Wild.
0: Cam Talbot in his last seventeen games was thirteen zero and three. He had sixteen starts in that stretch. The only loss that he had in quote unquote regulation was when he came in and in relief uh, on March 6th against Dallas. His last regulation loss was on March 1st against Calgary at home. So uh, Camp Talbot's been really good, but they got Marc-Andre Fleury for a reason. It was for these types of games. And I'm really curious. We're about probably 30 minutes away from being able to see the Minnesota Wild on the ice, I would imagine, and then we'll have a better update on what they're going to do in net. I'm really curious to see what they decide to do there. Either way, I'm trying to find the best way to describe this because it is not a must win game. The Blues can win this series in game seven in Minnesota. It is not an unwinnable situation. But it becomes a hell of a lot harder. Going up to Minnesota is not a situation you want to have. You would rather be able to get a little bit of rest going into that next series against Colorado. Like, it's it's just an all-around better situation if you're able to close things out today. You just get this series done with now, and you don't have to worry about a Game 7. Alex, we looked this up before the show today. Since 2011, home teams in the first round in Game 7s are 15-7. and seven. Overall, So the last decade, basically, 15 and seven in game seven at home in the first round. That is not a situation you want to be in if you're the Blues. They can win. They could go in there and do what they did in the Stanley Cup final in Boston. You could absolutely make that happen. But man, if you can get this done tonight, I feel a hell of a lot better about how that second round series is going to go against uh, the Colorado Avalanche. And honestly, I just don't want to see Kuro Kaprizov at a game seven. I'm not all that interested in seeing something ah, like that.
1: Kaprizov, Shapisoff. That's probably a word I can say on the so radio.
0: Okay, not a must win tonight but pretty damn close to it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I I wouldn't say it's a must win because you can't do anything, but I would say it's like a high-danger win situation for the Blues because Game 7, man, uh, you just, you never want to chance it. You go on home ice, but here's why Game 6 for me is a moment that the Blues, I think, should and could win and close out one because of the experience like you mentioned I mean they closed out all of their three of their four series on home ice back in 2019 they beat the Jets in six here they beat the Sharks in six here then of course the double overtime game against the Stars this comes down to experience though this is what you want guys like O'Reilly and Perron and Saad and Letty this is why you have them on your roster for this moment because Minnesota has not won a first round since the 2014-15 season when they beat the Blues Mm ever since it's been lost in the first round, lost in the first round, first round, first round, first round. They've only gone to game seven once, and that was last year against the Vegas Golden Knights where they lost in game seven to Vegas. Other than that, it's been losing in six, losing in five. Minnesota's got a group of inexperienced players that just haven't gotten over that threshold of, okay, we have to close out this series. The Doug Armstrong quote that you played yesterday, jam the knife into the brain and kill the opponent. The Blues have done that they know how to do that they know what's at stake here in terms of look we either close this out and have three days to rest our bodies before we go into a gauntlet with Colorado or we're going to have to go to game seven and go into another gauntlet atmosphere with the greenway line with the capri softs with that defense and then we're not going to have much time to rest so I would say that this team is poison experienced and knows what needs to be done to close things out here on home ice. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. We will hear from you
0: throughout the day today. We will hear from the Blues coming up later on probably this hour. We'll hear from uh, the head coach, Craig Berube, and some selected players as well as they speak to the media. We'll hear that live here at Enterprise Center alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, as these play playoffs continue to become higher and higher scoring which is what's happening right now does that mean the fourth line is that much less important because that's not typically where you get your scoring from we'll get into that coming up in about 15 minutes or so and if Craig Berube was actually a bit of a trendsetter in this playoff stretch but coming up next is this the closest thing we've seen to the Memphis Mafia since the Memphis Mafia we'll talk about that next year on 101 ESPN
3: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
0: Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We are calling a little bit of an audible. Omaha! Omaha! Coming up here in about 15 minutes or so, we'll talk about the closest thing that we've seen to the Memphis Mafia since 2011. But right now... We are live here at Enterprise Center, and since we are here, we are able to hear from the players live at Enterprise Center, and I do believe that David Perron is speaking to the media right now. Let's go ahead and take a listen to what David Perron has to say ahead of game number six here in St. Louis.
5: Our team's going to need to keep pushing forward, whether it's grabbing the lead back or um, if we're down a goal, getting that goal. So I think he just realizes what the situation's uh, required out of him, whether it's a big face-off. There's a, a play we saw this morning on a clip. He had a big block shot. I think, in the third, too. Just little things like that. He does it all, and uh, that's why he's our leader.
2: David, you you, uh, you, and Shannon O'Reilly all played over 20 minutes, which, as you know, for the regular season, it's unusual. But in the playoffs, is it whatever it takes?
5: Yeah. No, it's it's great. You always want to play a lot of minutes. But uh, I think uh, just the situation in 11-7 kind of required us to to do that a little bit more. And uh, that's why it happened. Hello, Tyler. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. All right. Have a good one, guys. That was David Perron speaking
0: to the assembled media here in St. Louis. Uh, I'm assuming Tyler Bozak is the next yeah. one that's coming Yeah, Tyler up Bozak.
1: So, yeah, so he's he's uh, I think he's stepping to the mic right now. All right, so uh, let's go
0: here. Yeah. Tyler Bozak, Blues forward on the fourth so line, someone. speaking to the media here in St. Louis ahead of game number six.
2: Somebody rotating in there. Yeah, I mean it's nice to play different uh, roles at different times, and uh, I feel like I'm a player that can, you know, help in a lot of different ways and in, in different scenarios. So it's uh, you know it's fun to be a part of that.
6: At the center, though,
2: what's the adjustment like? I guess you're used to all the different guys that are coming all of you. Yeah, I mean, I have pretty much played with everyone over the course of the year and and last year and stuff like that. So um, we have a lot of smart players on this team. It's easy to adjust uh, with whoever you're with. And, um, you know, we we try and play as structured as we can and stick to our system. And, you know, if everyone's on the same page is when we're the most successful. Not just in the series, but throughout the regular season. Why does that work for you guys? Um, why has just, um, yeah, I don't know. I think we got a, we got quite a few guys in the top nine that can definitely take some extra minutes and, um, you know, create a lot of opportunities when they get that extra time. We got a lot of skill up there. A lot of guys that can score as we've seen um, throughout the year. So I think just given, uh, giving you know, our best guys, a, a few extra minutes and a few extra opportunities definitely helps. Tyler, you talk about your, your buddy, Brayden and just in terms of the series he's having. Way he's played the last couple of games in this world he just kind of been an unsung hero for you guys yeah i mean he does it all he, he plays hard minutes against uh you know their best players he puts his body on the line um finishes his checks goes to the hard areas seems like he's always in the in the scrums and um you know that's no easy task um especially against a, a big strong tough team like minnesota is so um he's obviously a guy that we rely on and you know sparks us pretty much every night and, and really gets us going
3: What's it like to have two goaltenders of of this caliber, Tyler, and what have you seen from Jordan last? Yeah,
2: I think it's really important. I think, obviously, guys are going to... Whenever guys compete against each other within a team, I think it makes you a better team, and um, that's what that's why I've always said with our depth, there's always guys competing to, you know, play better and um, you know take take different spots in the lineup. So I think when you have that inner inner competition, it obviously pushes each other to be better, to play play better, and and play harder. And then obviously we're lucky to have the ability to you know put either guy in and, and know we have a chance to win. What's the hardest
5: thing about an elimination game? Playing an elimination game.
2: Um, I think you just definitely don't want to look past it in any way. I think we've done a good job of, you know, taking it one game at a time uh, uh, this series, not getting too high or too low. And um, obviously we know how good of a team we are playing against and, um, you know, how tough of a game it's going to be tonight. So we're going to have to have our best. What uh, has Torpchenko been like? Uh, have you had, you know, it's his first playoffs? Did you have to calm him down, give him some advice from time to time, or how's that worked out? Yeah, I mean, not much. He uh, He's a guy that plays plays really hard, gets in on the forecheck, big and strong. Um, fun guy to play with. You know, you can dump pucks in, and he's going to go retrieve them and create a lot of space and, and get to the net. So um, I think he's done a heck of a job, um, you know, so far, and he'll be doing the same the rest of the way.
0: We're listening to Blue starting forward, uh, Tyler Bozak meeting with the assembled media here at Enterprise Center alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie here on 101 ESPN.
2: In the offensive zone, there's a chance he can score. So um, I've been lucky enough to play with him for four years now, and um, you kind of take it for granted how good of a shot he has and how good of a player he is after you see it every day. But um, yeah, just little things throughout the game. He's so strong and powerful, and, and can take over a game at any moment. So we're extremely lucky to have him. How much are you talking to <laughs> Just what are your impressions of him since he's been here? Yeah, I think I just kind of answered that one strict but <laughs> <laughs> Um yeah, I mean I talked to him a little bit and uh like I just said he uh <laughs> big strong guy gets on the four check, retrieves puck, goes to hard areas and um down. fun guy to put
1: his with. hands are on Torpchenko. <laughs> He's a big strong guy. I feel like we're talking to Pete
0: Alonzo right now. That was uh blues forward Tyler Bozak meeting with the media. We should hear from Coach Craig Baruby here in the oh. not too distant future. It's amazing. I I am interested to see what that fourth line does tonight, because as much as I have said, and Alex, I've been steadfast about this, that uh, sometimes we do overestimate the importance of a fourth line. And I do think that in the playoffs, with the way that scoring has been up this year, I I think Craig Berube was kind of on the front end of a potential trend here in these playoffs of playing the fourth line less and maybe even going 11 and seven more often because you're playing that fourth line so many fewer minutes. The thing that is important, though, is you need to have guys that can take some of those minutes. Like Tyler Bozak is an important piece to what the Blues are going to try to do this this postseason. And so is Torupchenko. He's a guy that I understand the scoring hasn't necessarily been there. But, man, he does make an impact on the game when he is out there. You can feel him. You can see him. He is noticeable. And that is not something that I overlook completely. As much as I could be down on what the importance is of the fourth line. I can also understand that Torpchenko and Bozak have critical roles that this team's going to go on a run.
1: And also think about the other two guys that aren't playing that are currently on the ice being bag-skated by Steve Ott and <laughs> David Alexander. I mean, Logan Brown has played top six minutes for the Blues this season. Nathan Walker has played top six minutes. So, I mean, four options that you have to play the fourth line for you have all been players that have been depended on in bigger situations. And I think that is that is a trend that Craig Berube started. And you know what's fascinating about that, BK? is, like, be- Berube has been the trendsetter since he was hired. Like, he becomes hired, and other teams look at it as, oh, well maybe we'll fire our coach and bring somebody in to be the coach and see if that can spark a fire. And then Baruby was the one that was making those changes in games, in series, against Dallas and San Jose. And other teams started to be like, oh, well maybe we'll slot in a fourth liner and he could jump in. And now you're seeing the Blues play 11 forward seven defensemen. Some of it from necessity, some of it also because they see an opportunity to pounce. And Calgary has done that the last two games for their series against the Dallas Stars. Daryl Sutter has basically said, I'm going 11 forwards and seven defensemen because we want that extra body out there and the fourth line's not doing much. And
0: somebody said on the text line that the Rangers did that last night as well. I was at the Cardinals game, so I didn't see that. Well, the
1: Rangers did it because Ryan Lindgren, who had been out for a majority of that series, came back. And I think that was a little of protection like the Blues did, but that's a great point by the texter. I just think other teams view it as it's more impactful for us to have seven defensemen who maybe one's a specialist, maybe not just like a power play guy like Scott Perunovich, but maybe it's somebody who's a defensive specialist who only plays on the penalty kill. I just think there's only a few teams in the NHL playoffs right now that their fourth line is actually impactful. Tampa made moves in the offseason to rebuild that fourth line with Corey Perry along with Pat Maroon and and, uh, Pierre-Edouard Belmare. So I think you are seeing a trend set by Craig Berube. I wanted to mention one other thing before we get to break here. And with
0: Alex Ferrario and Tanner Henderson. I think is about Riley. to speak shortly, too. We heard David Perron briefly there talking about Ryan O'Reilly and how he's the leader for this team. Alex, we're out here, and I don't think any of the other media is out here right now because everybody else is in Press with, room. with the um, players as they're getting their interviews right now. Ryan O'Reilly today, first Blues starting forward on the ice. He's the first of the 11 that they're going to use tonight that was on the ice. He was also the last guy off of it. Yeah. He was the last one that was still getting in work after their morning skate had completed. And he was the first guy getting early work before their morning skate took place. Now, sometimes guys do that and it's like a look at me type of a thing. That ain't Ryan O'Reilly. This was not a one off. It was not because this is game six of the playoffs and he knows that there's going to be more people in the arena that will see that he's doing that. That's just who he is, that's what he's about, and it's why he's the captain of the Blues. It's just a cool thing to be able to see that uh, while we're out
1: here. Well, and also, I I mean, he was staying on the ice with Logan Brown mm-hmm. and Nathan Walker and also the first year of Ryan O'Reilly he was on the ice all the time with Robert Thomas like don't overlook the impact Ryan O'Reilly's having out there with Logan Brown who could be relied upon a lot next season as a fourth line player Nathan so, Walker too. Nathan Walker exactly I mean you got a bunch of guys that Ryan O'Reilly I mean he stays out there for a couple of reasons one to work on his stick skills sometimes he works on the faceoffs with Steve Ott but he also is out here working with Logan Brown and Nathan Walker and the scratches I guarantee you When the Black Aces come up after Springfield season in the American Hockey League, those guys will be out there working with Ryan O'Reilly and David Perron to hone their skills with that NHL captain. He was also working specifically
0: on his uh, shot from the slot, so something that he was working on, I'm assuming, for the power play later on this evening. So uh, it's interesting to see the the, the way that he... He goes about his work like it's it's just a special player, man. That's that's who he is. And uh, people on the text line are are, are pointing out that's what he's done from day one. Absolutely. since he was acquired. it's, It's the consistency like that's I've always said, Alex, this is something that I just really believe in. Like the thing that you can do. Uh, at yeah, your job is uh, everybody can have a good day, right? And, and that, this is what's really hard about hiring people is somebody can be really impressive in an interview and then you hire them and you're like, wait, but the job isn't getting done consistently. And it's because they can have a really good interview. They can be really great on day one. What are they on day 60? What are they on day 75? Yeah. What are they when they're in the middle of the season or right now as you're Ryan O'Reilly, that dude is beat up, dude. You can see it. Like we can see that he's clearly beat up and yet he's out here getting even more work. Like that, that, is, that is what is special and unique about him. And,
1: and also remember, he has not missed a game since he's been with the Blues other than yeah. COVID. Like, this man has gone through every beating possible, and he still finds ways to make sure he's out there first on the ice, last off the ice, in games, being impactful. I mean, that's been Ryan O'Reilly. They call him the factor for a reason. And since he was acquired, the, the, the conversation surrounding O'Reilly of saying, like, oh, man, you know, they, they, Buffalo can't win with them. Jack Eichel should be the captain because O'Reilly's not there. All of those went away as soon as he got to St. Louis. Yeah,
0: it, it, he's a special player. He's a special person, and there's a reason why he's the captain of your Blues and the reason why uh, when everybody else is talking about him, they, they all mention the exact same things. Alex, do you think that we're going to have Craig Berube here shortly, it, or should we go to break? We're here? waiting we're him for up. him,
1: so I would say let's take a break, and then we can come back, and hopefully we'll catch him when he steps into the media room. Sounds <laughs> good. We will
0: go to break now. Hear from Craig Berube, the Blues head coach. Coach on the other side as we are awaiting game number six late tonight here in St. Louis on 101 ESPN.
3: We're right back to the PK and Ferrario Podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
0: center where Alex Ferrario and I are ahead of tonight's game number six here on 101 ESPN. It sounds like Craig Berube is meeting with the media right now down in the press room. Let's go ahead and hear from the Blues head coach right here on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN. The
5: thing is just um, you know controlling your emotions here early on in the game is going to be important with the crowd at home. Um, Don't you know don't look too far ahead just one shift and get you know do what you're supposed to do out there, and keep your emotions in check the best you can. Stay in discipline. We don't need penalties. you guys
1: have been in a lot of closeout games. Are there things that these players have learned in the past about closeout games that they can take into?
5: Yeah, for sure. We've been in a number of them, so I think that you know they. A lot of the guys that've been in them, they've been through it and they know what's involved in it, and you know you learn from past mistakes too. Um, so. But again, you, you know you got to control what you can control. Uh, go out there and play hard. Do your job, and um, you know that's it. Gee,
2: what's it like coaching a guy like Braden? And if, what have you seen from him these last two games specifically?
5: Well, he gives you everything he's got from you know a physical standpoint, and does a lot of the the dirty work, uh, net front and things like that in a power play, and very physical player, and has the ability to score and and make plays too. So. Pretty good all-around player to have, Chief. Uh, what uh, what did you like about Thomas putting him back with uh, Butch Well, I put him back last game for a number of shifts, and um, just um, you know, I thought he was better in the game. I thought he was uh, skating better and 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 had the puck more than he has. So um, I feel he's coming.
2: And Barbashev, uh, how would you say he's he's played the series? He struggled
5: a little bit. Or... No, at times, I think, but he's done some good things too. I mean, he's, he's done a good job on a kill. Um, he's been physical, um, you know, made a nice play to Vladdy on the goal. So, I mean, you know, it's – uh, you guys we all look at points all the time I get that but it's not just all about points it's about checking and doing other things too so and um, you know he has the capability of doing that kind of stuff and he does it for us
1: that's a nice flexibility to have because it seems like when you put Thomas with
0: Kyra
5: they work out well yeah you know it does so listen it could be some mixing and matching who knows I mean nothing set in stone
7: Greg, what
5: stood out about Jordan the last couple of games but,
7: but also down the
5: stretch uh, of the regular season to get to this point where he's in? Kyra? Uh, oh. Um yeah. His, you know, his starts before the playoffs were really good. I thought, uh, you know, he was winning games, showing confidence, you know, all the things that he does great, you know, he was doing down the stretch and, you know, we had full confidence in him. We, you know, and we talked about, you know, he was not going to start the series but stay ready. That's
7: What's it like to have two goaltenders that you have the confidence in that
5: you obviously? Oh, it's nice to have two goalies for sure. I think, uh, you know, nowadays there's a lot of teams, you know, you've got to use two goalies. I mean, uh, not everybody. Uh, but in our case, we used both guys this year that, um, you know, played really well for us. So Riley,
2: is he elevating his play right now or is this the same that you pretty much get
5: from every game? Um, well, everybody elevates their game in the playoffs. Uh, I don't I don't I don't think that he's any different. Um he's playing really well right now. But going into playoffs you're you gotta elevate your game if you wanna be successful. Chief any,
2: anything with your, your penalty kill the last game that that you needed to uh
5: play Yeah, we did, I mean he made <laughs> The first one I think, you know, Colton probably could be tighter on him. You know, I think he's a little bit late getting out on him, but the second goal, it's a hell of a play by him, kaprasov Um you know, we got two guys in there with their sticks in there and he still kinda of finds a way to get that shot off. You know, it's a it's a it's a great play by him.
0: We're talking to or we're hearing from Craig Barubi ahead of game number six here on your home for the blues one oh one ESPN. Oh, I got him.
1: Nope, I think we're done. That was Craig Craig (laughs) Berube here
0: on your Home for the Blues 101 ESPN alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kyle. I would say the biggest thing uh, that he said that stood out to me is just why he's going back to Thomas Tarasenko and Buchnevich. He said, listen, I I really liked the game that we saw from Thomas in the last one in game number five. I think he skated a lot better. We had seen some of them in game five together. They were double shifting a couple of those guys. I know Tarasenko was a guy that was getting a lot of shifts with that fourth line, and so was Kairou. So Thomas was getting some opportunities with them as Barbashev kind of moved around a little bit. And Alex, he said, quote, Robert Thomas is coming. Is Robert Thomas going to be in this game what Vladimir Tarasenko was in game five in terms of a guy that... Had been playing better probably than the numbers indicated, but he wasn't getting those results. Could Robert Thomas be that guy tonight?
1: I think there's three guys that fall into that category tonight. And Craig Berube's quote saying that makes me believe Robert Thomas should be at the top of that list. I mean, look, anytime Craig Berube makes a decision or talks about a player, that player seems to have himself a great game. But Robert Thomas can be that option, but I think there's two of the other ones. Pavel Buchnevich, I've heard from people mention how, oh man, Pavel Buchnevich has been absent in this series. Well, not really. He's got four assists so far through five games of play, but he hasn't scored. So I think Pavel Buchnevich could be one of those guys, and Braden Chen's another one. Braden yep. Chen has been phenomenal this season with the physicality. He's been creating um, goal-scoring opportunities in front of the net with his body and screens but he hasn't scored. So I think any of those three could be those guys tonight for the blues. But the fact that Craig Berube said I, he's coming makes me believe that he might be number one. With Alex Ferrario
0: and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. In about 10 minutes or so, I would expect that we will see the Minnesota Wild on the ice. We'll give you updates on what we see from them when it comes to their uh, decision in net. I would imagine they're probably going to play at Coy and pretend like they don't know who's going to start for them yeah. tonight. Uh, but we'll give you any insight that we can on that throughout the day-to-day. Fastlane coming up live from 2-6 to six here at Enterprise Center as well. And then we'll have the extended pregame coverage from 6 to 7.30, 7.30 to 8.30 will be your regular pregame coverage with myself, Alex Ferrario, and Tanner Hendrickson. And then we got the puck drop coming up at 8.30 here on 101 ESPN. In 10 minutes or so, can this be the closest thing that we've seen to the Memphis Mafia since 2011? We'll discuss that and what these young guys have brought to the Cardinals in about 10 minutes or so. Questions and answers, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. We'll get to your questions coming up here on 101 ESPN
3: we're right back to the PK and ferrario podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn you've got questions we may have the answers maybe text now to 65780 it's PK and ferrario's questions and answers on 101 espn
0: 65780 is the air comfort service text line for questions and answers alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. in about five minutes or so. We'll talk about the Memphis Mafia 2.0, maybe, possibly, allegedly. We'll get into that coming up at the top of the hour. But right now, let's hear from you uh, from the 314. Guys, who would be your click to pick? Let's try this again. They said click to pick. That seemed weird in my head. Who would be your I mean, you to pick to click tonight in game number six?
1: Um, mine's Brayden Shen I think I, I think he has had himself one hell of a series and the hockey gods always always reward those guys who work their tails off I mean Ryan O'Reilly has gotten it in this series um, I would say that uh, Braden Shen is going to be the guy that gets rewarded tonight for the Blues. Tanner?
4: I think my pick to click tonight is going to be Pavel Buchnevich. I think he gets in the scoring tally in terms of goals he hasn't had a goal yet in this series he picked up two points uh, in the last game. I thought he had his best game of the series in game five. So I think he builds on that as good game tonight in game six and potentially puts one in the back of the net. I'm
0: going to go Justin Falk. The Blues have been getting their defense more
1: active lately. I think Justin Falk might be the guy. That's a good one because no, not one Defenseman has scored a goal yet in this yeah, series. He has four
0: assists so far in this series. He's been good. I mean, he's averaging 27 minutes per game <laughs> it's, so far. It's, it's <laughs> insanity <laughs> it's just just what
1: he and Colton Perico are doing in this series. Um,
0: so I, I'm going to go Justin Falk. He also. If I'm not mistaken, he was the one that was quarterbacking that other power play unit yeah. in, the, in game five, which kind of surprised me a little I bit. It was Leddy not Nick Letty. It was Justin Falk that was out there uh, with that group. So if that continues, I, I did not notice earlier today. I got to be honest oh, with yeah, you I guys. See, oh, here. I can, if he was the one that was quarterbacking that second unit or not. But um, Perunovic was one of them that was quarterbacking. And I, we'll, we'll have to check to see who the other one was. Who Jr. Uh, had. Go but I'll, I'll go with Justin Falk as my guy. 65780. was the- power. He was on the second power. He project. was. Mm-hmm. Justin Falk was cool. Yeah. Uh, 65780 is the air comfort service tax line from the 618. Guys, do you think Jordan Bennington has any sort of leash from the coaching staff? Does he pull him fast if it does not start off
1: well in game six? Absolutely not. Yeah, you don't pull a goaltender in the middle. I mean, look, if Vili Huso didn't get yanked in game one. Or no, I'm sorry, game two when it was going insanely the other way you don't pull a goaltender in the middle of the playoffs unless like what Craig Ruby did in game six against the Boston Bruins where he wanted to make sure Bennington's head was in the right place going into game seven now there's no leash on him in tonight's game and frankly if the game goes haywire I would imagine they go back to Jordan Bennington in game seven it seems to be at least for Ruby what we saw with Billy Husso it's about a two-game leash three-game leash and then you say okay well we need a spark it's when your gut tells you that the team just doesn't have it and I don't see the Blues having that issue tonight or Saturday if they have to go to a game seven
0: yeah I tend to agree I don't think that it'll be an in-game thing unless things just go completely off the rails if you're in the third period and you're down seven to two or something like yeah okay maybe they make a switch and try to do something a little differently but I think the thing that would be interesting is if you do lose in this one and I'm obviously hoping and believing that they will not if you were to lose that's when the decision would get interesting. I think they would go back to Bennington, yeah. barring him just looking horrible. But that would be a, that would be where the decision comes into
1: mind. Yeah, I think the only way you go, you see Huso in Game Seven if it gets there, is if Bennington is the reason they lost Game Six.
0: Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service Tax line for questions and answers from the six one eight. Is there any update on what Paul DeYoung has done so far in Memphis? Uh, Tanner, you were telling <laughs> T-Bone? us. Is it just
1: the one at bat that he's taken so far Get the breaking news sounder for a uh, Paulie D update?
4: No, let's not do that. Uh, but last I looked, <laughs> I'll check here again. When I last looked, he was Oh, for one, he's hitting second today, playing short for Memphis. It looks like he's gotten a second at bat here. He is 0 for two, he popped out to first, and then I will have to look and see what his second at bat was.
1: Oh, nice. but Paul, the playing to
4: left 0 for two so far for Paul, the young starting triple a,
1: guys Paul DeYoung's playing short with Nolan Gorman in Memphis they're just trying to figure out what that battery looks like for the infield for the majors Gorman, right? Gorman, That's what it Gorman's, is, right
4: Gorman's 0 for 2 with two strikeouts today so far too oh, oh my god
1: 65780 is the air comfort service
0: tax line from the 314 guys if the Blues end up continuing on this postseason and Bennington keeps playing like this do you think they'll be able to keep both goalies for 2022? So for next year, do you think they would keep both goalies?
1: No, I mean, I think it's one or the other going into next season um, just because, I mean, Husso is going to want to get paid. He's an unrestricted free agent. He's been in the blue system for a long period of time. And look, if Bennington regains this net, I, I mean, Husso is going to go back into the backup role if he were to re-sign in St. Louis. I guess it depends on what Billy Husso wants. Does he want to stay with an organization uh, that gives him the best shot at continuing to win championships? Or does he want to go somewhere and be the number one guy and get paid? And I would imagine if you're Villy, you're 26 years old, Like this is the time to bank in after the season that you had. So I could see the Blues um, not being able to come to terms with Villy and then going, I don't know if you guys saw what Chucky Sideburns did last night for Springfield, but I mean, he allowed one goal on 50 sh- or 51 shots. He might be your Villy Huso next season. Yeah, I would have no issue with that. He, he was good for them this year when he had his opportunity to come
0: up. He's going to be relatively cheap and expensive. And we've seen him do the job. So, I and I just think that the Blues get the most out of their goalies because of the system that they run.
1: And Tyler Bozak said that. We just heard from him a couple of segments ago. He said, like, that the reason the Blues are so successful as a team is because there's always internal competition. There's never a number one guy, and I think that's what the Blues have. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line as the Wild take the
0: ice right now for their morning skate. We'll give you any updates as we get them. From the 618 final question, Alex, this might be a dumb question, but why don't NHL teams celebrate in the playoffs like Major League Baseball teams do when they win a series with champagne or beer? Thanks so much.
1: Uh, It's not a dumb question at all. Jamie would have a better answer for this because he's been in the locker room, but I mean, just talking to guys, like after game seven, when the Blues beat the Dallas Stars double overtime like there was a celebration of course they were happy but nobody's spraying champagne and I think it's just because the players know that this is a grind like it is the toughest championship to win in all of professional sports and and I will argue that with anybody because to go through four potential seven game series in the gauntlet that they are just going through in game one like players just know one round win is not going to mean anything for any team they're going to have to go four rounds before they celebrate and i've always
4: loved that about hockey I'm sp- yeah I, i'm spraying th- champagne tonight if we win i'm just saying <laughs> press uh, box not up here is you're not fl- oh
0: come on i should have brought some good whiskey i didn't even think about it dude, i didn't bring any dude, whiskey up here has got an entire drawer full of bourbon for i us. know Let's i, sh- I should have brought some of the good
1: stuff we though. need to make sure we get some bud lights in here
0: too Curbs for is my hero Six five seven eight zero oh, is the Air Comfort Service X line. Maybe we'll go grab something
1: between when our show's over and when. How do you think uh, you're going to get that in here? What do you mean on my backpack? Oh geez. Well, you just broke the laws, and now security's going to be on high alert. I'm Where sure you they would go, understand. BK. I guess it's I'm just
4: BK. I'm sure me and they Alex, would understand. In fact, I Alex bet you they would appreciate
1: it. Uh, BK. Well, look, it's going to be you and I for second intermission. If this team looks bad in the first, we're sending BK home. That's fair. That's Totally understandable. <laughs>
0: Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, let's play a game of Believe It or Not. Six five seven eight zero oh, is the Air Comfort Service X line for believe it or not but coming up next is this the closest thing we've seen to the memphis mafia since 2011 talk about that here on 101 espn
3: we're right back to the pk and ferrario podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn And Yepes drives it out to deep left. It's at the wall. Gone. Juan Yepes' his first home run at Busch Stadium. And with that, one swing, one nothing, St. Louis. And there it is. And Donovan hits it into the gap in right center, all the way to the wall. Two runs will score. And Donovan stops at second base with a two-out double that scores a pair.
1: Robertson puts it in play. That'll score a run. And Cravener Robertson drives in his first in the big leagues, bringing in Brendan Donovan.
0: Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 And It was a good night for the Cardinals last night. The offense finally exploded, and Alex, it was the young guys that really got it going for them. And here in just a second, I want to discuss whether or not this can be the closest thing that the Cardinals have had to the Memphis Mafia since 2011. But we do need to pass along a little bit of the news that we're watching right now on the ice. It does appear that Cam Talbot is in the starters' net for the Wild right now. Now they could be playing some sort of mind games with the Blues. That that is they possible. do it in the playoffs. But the way that this typically works is the the goal that they're going to be defending twice is the one where the starter gets the work, and that is the goal that right now Cam Talbot is getting the work in. Is this what you expected? Are you surprised at all to see Cam Talbot likely getting the start tonight for the Minnesota Wild?
1: No, I'm not surprised. I mean. Craig Berube said it when they made the move for Bennington, Say we needed a spark and they got the spark. Uh, Dean Evison is looking for a spark from his goaltender. My gut tells me, though, that that might be just too late of a decision because the Blues have had a lot of success against Cam Talbot this season and in the last couple of seasons. But no, it doesn't surprise me.
0: Yeah, Tanner, I'm not are su- you surprised by it? No. And
1: do you think it changes anything in terms of your expectations
4: for slow down, game? Tanner? Let's so ask question. I'm, I'm so Go ahead, buddy. Excited They're changing goalies. No, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm so excited, I, and I just can't hide it. But no, yeah, I'm not. I'm not surprised that they're control. going to Cam Talbot. I, I think this was the right decision for the Minnesota Wild. They basically have put had their backs put up against the wall. Now they just got to see if if they can get a spark from Cam Talbot. See if he can turn things around against the Minnesota or against the St. Louis Blues. I don't know if it was too late to do it. I didn't mind them going back to Mark Andre Fleury in Game Four because of or game five, excuse me, because we've talked about He was the guy that you were going to ride or die with, and they've died, and now they're basically saying, okay, our last hope is that Cam (laughs) Talbot can get us going here here. in game (laughs) six. This is
1: the BKO. Do not BKO this. No, this is not a BKO. I can't BKO anything you can TKO, and that's actually a thing. We
0: saw the Blues, they, their game plan was very clear against Marc-Andre Fleury. Take as many shots at the net as you possibly can because those rebounds are going to be there for you. Mm-hmm. Does that change with Talbot in that, is no. he a guy that allows those rebounds the same way that you saw with Marc-Andre Fleury? I think
1: he's a guy that allows shots off of the rush. I think he can be beat, and uh, I think he's more of a stick side guy that can get beat rather than a glove side guy I don't really remember if he was good with his glove or not but no Uh, it doesn't change I still think that's the mantra for Craig Berube and his team is like look this is how you beat this team you get to the front of the net that's how you drop penalties that's how you frustrate the defense and that's how you get to the goaltender to create rebounds he's not great with his rebound control but he's not Marc Andre Fleury that always leaves those up in the open so I can see the Blues beating him off of the rush but I can also see them beating him in front of the net. So it's going to be a dual threat once again for the Blues. Interesting. All right, so that is your update on the Blues. It looks like Cam Talbot likely
0: getting the start tonight in net for the Minnesota Wild. All right, let's get into what we saw last night with the St. Louis Cardinals because, Alex, I've been really impressed by some of the young guys and what they have brought to this club. Juan Yepes has been nothing short of outstanding since his call-up to the big leagues. I think Brendan Donovan has been really impressive thus far as well. Uh, we've seen some of their young pitchers come up and immediately have success. Andre Pallante has been one of their best relievers so far this season. And if they needed to have another bullpen start, I could understand if they went with him as being one of the starters that they decide to use in that situation. Uh, you saw last night, Jake Walsh, super impressive. Ended up getting, I think it was um, all six outs on his curveball and it didn't look like it was like a super crisp curveball. But it for whatever reason, it was working uh, last night against the Orioles. So he was good as well. I remember last year, Claves telling us coming out of spring training, the Cardinals looked like a good team, but they were very thin. There was not much depth. They had basically like 20, 20-ish guys that you felt pretty confident in. And then there was a really wide gap where uh, the back end of that roster, man, there just wasn't a whole lot there to be had. And there wasn't anything coming up from AAA that you could expect to immediately contribute either. This year's totally different. I feel like the 40-man roster right now is as good as it's been, as deep as it's been for the Cardinals in a really long time. My question to you guys, is this the closest thing that we've seen to the Memphis Mafia since the Memphis, Memphis Mafia? And I think this time around, you also have to include the pitching side of things in this. In 2011, it was mostly just the hitting side. I think the pitchers also have to be taken into account when we're talking about something like
1: yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's as close to it as what that that was uh, when the Memphis Mafia originated. The only difference is, like, they were relied upon heavily in a lot of circumstances, and there were a lot of guys that were relied upon. I mean, Colton Wong, Matt Adams, Greg Garcia, you can go down the list with that. But I think you're getting to the point now that you're doing the exact same for the Blues. You're relying heavily on Juan Yepes right now, Brendan Donovan. Uh, You can make the argument with Edmundo Sosa, like it or not. I know he was on the team last year, but he was a part of that Memphis team last year before they brought him up and had him a part of this roster. And, And I think the Memphis Mafia now is accredited more towards that bullpen because that is a completely redesigned bullpen than what it was last season. I mean, you had Andrew Miller. You started the season with Tyler Webb. You had all of these veterans with money that was tied to them, and this year it's been, no, we're going to bring all these guys up from Memphis. Palante, you've now had Jake Walsh, who had a really good outing last night. So as much as you're going to talk about the offense with Memphis Mafia 2.0, I think it goes more towards the bullpen.
4: Yeah, I would agree with you. I think it's more of a Balanced Memphis Mafia because you have some of those position players and now you've got those pitchers and we haven't even seen a Matthew Liberatore, Zach Thompson, or Nolan Gorman, the top prospects uh, that that are going to be a part of this. At some point, I think all three of those guys are going to be making their debuts this year. Nolan Gorman probably the first of those three, but yeah, I could see how this is kind of a Memphis Mafia 2.0 because I, I like what I've seen from Brendan Donovan. He, he's a all around. A good hitter, Juan Pez, the same way. He's got a lot. He's got power as well, and then he shortens up on two strike uh, counts. So you've got the hitters, and then the pitching, like Alex said, the bullpen's revamped because of this Memphis Mafia. Andre Pallante has been even better than I was expecting, and I thought Pallante had a chance to be really good. Jake Walsh, uh, the same way. I expect that you know we're going to see even more guys coming from that bullpen. Like I think Cody Whitley, he's going to go down and he's going to come back up, and he's going to be fine. He doesn't kind of tie into this Memphis Mafia, but I think he's going to be fine going down and working on his stuff. So I can see how this is definitely memphis mafia 2.0 but just more balanced than what the original version was
0: 65780 is Ear comfort service text line from the 314 guys ease up on this every year there are about two or three weeks where cardinals rookies come up and produce and then they end up fizzling out too many examples over the last six years to really get excited about what we've seen thus far there there is some truth to that we do see some guys come up occasionally, and they have some brief success, and then it's like, okay, that's about all they got available to you. Like, Jairo Munoz was one of those Whoa. guys.
1: Do not talk ill about Jairo the – I don't have any nickname right. for Ms. D- Diaz had a brief uh, spell
0: here in St. Louis where he was a pretty good player, Jeremy Hazel Baker had some Hazel Raker. Like we, we have seen some of these guys come up briefly, have a little bit of success. And then it's just over. It's just over for him. I think the difference this year is these guys aren't just like, whoa, where'd that Cardinals devil magic came come from. Like Brendan Donovan is a real prospect who had real success down in the minor leagues. Nolan Gorman at some point this season will very likely be up with the big league club. And I would assume he'll produce for the big league club. Uh, If you're looking at, for example, Yepes, he's a top 10 prospect in the Cardinal system right now. This is no longer just a random guy that they traded for and got in that Matt Adams deal. He's a real prospect in Major League Baseball that teams value. And I don't think anything we're seeing is fluky about the way that he's hitting so far. So they have all of those guys. And then, as you guys mentioned the pitching side of things is also very much real. Some of these guys produced in spring training. They've produced down at AAA, and they've got the stuff that plays up here in the majors. So I I actually don't think this is fluky. I think this is very real, and I think the reason why it matters is because the issue for the Cardinals in recent years, is you get into June or July, they deal with some injury issues, and suddenly they look as thin as we have talked about in spring training. And you see the the backfilling, it's just not there. They don't have the ability to go seven deep in their rotation or to have that fourth or fifth outfielder that can stabilize things when somebody else gets hurt. This year, they've got all of that. And they also have a player right now in Brendan Donovan who is trying to win over this starting shortstop role. Guys, this is really interesting to me. Brendan Donovan today is making his third straight start at shortstop. And Ollie Marmel was asked yesterday if he's starting to settle into that role. Here's what Ollie Marmel had to say after the game.
1: We talked a a decent amount in spring about this group of players coming up, that there was something about them that was just very fearless. They don't back down. They uh, don't make the moment any bigger than what it really is. And we're seeing that with a a couple of guys that have come up lately. um, It's been really good.
0: Brendan Donovan is among that group. Guys, do you think there's any chance that Brendan Donovan actually ends up being the Cardinals starting shortstop? Here for the foreseeable future, he's the guy that gets it, not Edmundo Sosa.
1: Define foreseeable future.
0: I I don't know uh, until they figure out what to do with Paul DeYoung. So here's my can thinking. he
1: win the job? Let's put it that way. So here's just my for, here's forget my any of the disclaimers. I think he. I don't think he can win the job because I think they're going to give Edmundo Sosa a shot. Like they sent Paul DeYoung down because they thought that Edmundo Sosa was the next guy. Maybe Brendan Donovan gets more playing time there at least until they feel like it gets to the right spot, or maybe he gets a little bit more uh, 50-50. Maybe it's 60-40, but I don't think he becomes the everyday guy at shortstop. Edmundo Sosa is going to get starts there, but I don't think he can win the job. Like, that's that's where I feel like I'm going to pump the brakes on this uh, Memphis Mafia side of things. I, I, I don't, like, I'm not falling for the Aledmas Diaz trap again. I'm not going to sit here and be like, oh, my God, they got a shortstop. No. Go get a shortstop who has a long track record of this. So I think he can maybe take the job from Edmundo Sosa, but come trade deadline time, I think Brendan Donovan and Edmundo Sosa will both lose the job for some type of trade.
4: Yeah. The problem I have with that, because I kind of agree with Alex is I think right now he's not going to win the job i think he's gonna potentially hold the job where he's gonna hold it until they find that replacement at the trade deadline but we look around major league baseball and it's hard to find who that guy is that you're gonna yep. re- replace him with at the deadline and i don't think it's an xander bogart like he makes a ton of sense does trade for him you can plop him in the lineup he's gonna make a ton of sense you get him in there and he's signing the contract extension but they're not i don't think they're gonna pull off that kind of a trade so for now i could see brendan donovan holding that spot until Paul DeYoung comes back, or essentially he's going to hold it the moment he goes cold is the moment they're going to switch right back to Edmundo Sosa. I think you could see the Cardinals going through three shortstop on a consistent basis throughout the rest of the regular season.
0: So I went back this morning, and I I was thinking to myself, okay, let's look at some of the best Cardinals teams of the last 20 years. So I pulled up o four, o six, eleven, thirteen, 4 6 11, 13, and 15. I would say that that's a pretty good representative sample size of of the better teams over the last 20 years yeah. to play here in St Louis
1: what happened between 2007 and 2010 <laughs> really really struggled Wolf um
0: Edgar Rinzeria David Eckstein Rafael Furcal, Pete Cosma Johnny Peralta Ugh. that's your list of starting shortstops oh that's what happened between 0'7 and 2010 on the best Cardinals teams of the last 20 years. Not bad. It's not exactly a who's who of shortstops in major league base. The first two were awesome. They were good. What? I think Edgar Renteria was really good.
1: David Eckstein was like playing Tommy Edmund at shortstop. You're right, because usually when guys win MVPs in the World Series, they're mediocre. Last year, your best
0: hitter in the Wild Card game was Tommy Edman. I'm not saying David Eckstein was a bad player,
1: but... David Eckstein was a David Eckstein wasn't a gold glove shortstop. David Eckstein was a really good leadoff hitter. He was a
0: high average hitter. He he was OK. He did what they valued in 2006. Um, but m- m- the reason I bring up these names is because I think you can get this kind of production out of your options that you have internally. Like I think that Brendan Donovan can basically be defensively at shortstop what Johnny Peralta was. Johnny Peralta was basically a third baseman that was masquerading as a shortstop. He made all of the plays that you needed to make and did nothing more. He did not make a whole lot of errors. He was not going to impress anybody with his range. But in the words of Ollie Marmel, he caught the ball. He threw the ball. And <laughs> he more often than not got the job done. And I think that Brendan Donovan, the reason I bring this up, is because I think he can kind of do that. I think he can be that guy at shortstop for you that stabilizes things while they figure out what their long-term plan is at the position. I don't think the Cardinals are this year going to figure out what they're going to do with shortstop in 2023. I think that answer comes in the offseason. They're going to need more time, and they're going to need to have more maneuvering on their roster to be able to figure that out. But for right now, I do not think they're going to make the trade for Xander Bogarts. I just don't think that's likely. We'll get into that more in the 1 o'clock hour. And so you look around, you're like, okay, my options are going with some other utility infielder from somebody else. I know, Tanner, you've got a name that we'll throw into the mix at somebody one in the 1 o'clock hour. To or I can try this thing with Brendan Donovan. I can try later on, if it doesn't work with him, Edmundo Sosa. Maybe Paul DeYoung starts hitting a AAA, and you go back to him. And then later on, the... The last resort is going to Tommy Edmond and him playing shortstop for you with potentially Nolan Gorman or maybe Brendan Donovan playing at second base. I think this has the chance to work because you look back at those teams that the Cardinals won with. Those shortstops ain't all that different from the options that you've got available to you right now. The Cardinals just haven't really had an all-star capable shortstop really in 20 years now.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I've said that Tommy Edman is a David Eckstein for me, and that's why I wouldn't mind moving him to shortstop, even though the Cardinals don't want to do it. The hard part is trying to find an Edgar Renteria. And me personally, I think Xander Bogarts is that option for the Cardinals, but a lot of people don't agree. I, I mean, he's just going to cost. Yeah, he's cost a lot of so money. So did and Edgar a lot of Renteria. Process. I mean, and then you let him walk, and then you couldn't find a shortstop
0: I, for I twenty hear, years. Yeah, I, I hear you, but I mean. He, I would love to get Xander Bogarts, but first of all, he's not very good defensively. Like he, he's probably a third baseman long term. And if you're going to sign him long term, you don't really have a spot to put him if he doesn't work defensively at, at shortstop. And that's the issue that you're trying but to. It, but avoid. isn't
1: the isn't the rule? And I don't want to waste time because I know we're going to get into this a little bit later. But like, isn't the rules? Aren't the rules shifting next year to where they can't? like the shortstop and third baseman play on one side of the uh, second base and then second and first play on the other side. Yeah, which makes it even more important. Well, that's habit. what I'm saying. Like I I don't I don't know if I mean there's not going to be a whole lot of superb shortstops that are making plays. Like I think you might see a little bit of a drop off defensively. And then you want the bat there. I, I think that puts more value on their defense. I, I would say it goes kind of in the, in, in the reverse. I don't think you have a guy that's going to be able to be that guy for you at shortstop right now, like the gold glove shortstop. I yeah. don't think Paul DeYoung's that. I don't think Edmundo Sosa's that, and I don't think Brennan Donovan's that.
0: We can get that in, into that a little bit more in the 1 o'clock hour. Coming up next, let's play a game of Believe It or Not. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. You tell us if you've got a scenario. We will tell you if we believe it or not. Coming up next, you're on 101 ESPN.
3: We're right back to the PK and Ferrario
0: podcast,
3: presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Look at what's happened to me! I can't believe it myself. Suddenly, I'm a. Bum.
4: You guys ready? Believe it or not time.
0: 65780 is here. Comfort Service text line. Tanner was solo on that one. We were talking to Chris Kerber here at Enterprise Center alongside Alex Ferrario, Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's play a quick game of Believe It or Not before we talk to Joey Vitali on the other side. Guys, believe it or not, Thomas Tarasenko and Buchnevich will have the most productive line tonight on the
1: Blues. Um, I'm not going to believe that. Uh, Because even though I do feel like one of those guys is going to have a good game tonight, I still believe that when that line is put together, Minnesota knows that their grief line is going to have to go up against them. And maybe that's sacrificing another line's uh, strength because they know that the O'Reilly and Perron-Shen line has beaten them up in the past, but... I just don't think Minnesota can allow that line to go out there and have their free will on home ice. So I'm not going to believe that.
4: Yeah, I'm not sure I'm going to believe it either. I think the big line tonight is going to be that O'Reilly-Perron-Shen line. They've they they did they've done it before on home ice. I think they do it again. I think that grief line is going to kind of lock down that Thomas line. I'm
0: going to believe it. Burby said that he thinks that Thomas is ready to go. This is going to be his breakout performance. So I'm going to go ahead and believe him. He tends to have a pretty good gut with these types of things. He put them back together for a reason. He's going to be able to get them the matchups that he's looking for tonight. So I'll go ahead and believe this six five seven eight zero is your comfort service text line. Believe it or not, Miles Michaelis will finish the year top five in the National League in Cy Young voting.
1: I'll believe that. I mean, who who would be considered Cy Youngs? I don't know. It's early, but like Max Scherzer, obviously, is going to be up there. Is there anybody else who has just been insanely good Alcantara, so far? Pablo Lopez.
4: Yeah. Those two will definitely be in the conversation. I mean, if you're going to talk about those... yours, Nash-
1: always going to be in that conversation. Who? Now, Walker Bueller. If you're oh, yeah. going to talk about National League best pitchers this early, Miles Michaelis has to be in that conversation. So, if this continues, I'll believe it.
4: I, I think I'm not going to believe it just because the field. Look, I think Michaelis is good. Is going to remain really good this season. I just don't know if he's going to be top five in NL Cy Youngs. We didn't even mention the two, three guys from Milwaukee, so I'm not going to believe it. I think I'm just going to take the field, but I think he still has a really good year.
1: It's top five, man. It's I'm not lot. going to believe this out of him. Thank you. You both. He was in your T-bone three.
4: Yeah, he's still going to hit on all those marks.
1: What, have w- the best ERA on the team and have the most wins, and he's not going to be top five in Cy Young? It's just, yeah. it, it's a tough thing to do, man.
0: It, it's a real tough thing to do. And there's other guys that are just going to, by name, be more likely to end that up so getting much. in the top five. I know it, it, it's frustrating, but it also helps some Cardinals. Like, Yadier Molina got gold glove probably longer than he necessarily needed to based on the fact that he's Yadier Molina. How dare? Um, I think... Like Tyler O'Neill, for example, is going to come into this season as the clear-cut favorite to win the gold glove in left field. Is that fair? Maybe not. There might be other guys that are right up there with him, but because of his name, he's going to be recognized as as being that guy. So I think it works in favor of the Cardinals as well. But in this one, I do not think it is in favor of Miles Michaelis. Believe it or not, guys, from the 618, Scott Perunovich will be the next
1: Tory Krug for the St. Louis Blues. I mean, I'll believe this one. He's got the offensive upside. Uh, defensively, I actually think he hasn't been bad in what we've seen from him. It's just a matter of experience. And, I mean, look, you got a Hobie Baker Award winner. Like, it's no coincidence that Perunovic has been drafted, but Tory Krug wasn't drafted. But you had two guys really good in college, and that made a name for themselves in the NHL. So I'll believe this one. I think you can get to a Tori Krug level.
4: I'm not going to believe this. I think he has the potential to get to that level, but I'm not sure he'll do it with the Blues just because you already have a Tory Krug, and he's going to be more of a third-pairing defenseman, I think. I think he is more of a Vince Dunn than he is a Tory Krug.
0: I'm not going to believe this either. Tory Krug, I think, doesn't get enough credit for just how good he is as a player. So I, I'll say he doesn't end up being at that quite that level. I think he's probably a third-pairing defenseman, and then he helps you a lot of the power play. I've been so impressed by what he's been able to do in this series as somebody who has not played organized hockey in like four months now. He came in dry and immediately was one of your best power play players. Last one here. We'll get out of on this one. Believe it or not, one Yepez finishes the season with the best batting average on the St. Louis Cardinals.
1: I'm not going to believe that one. That's a, that's a tough thing to do, especially if you're a rookie. He's looked awesome, but that's a... Uh, That's tough for me to think he's going to be able to have the best batting average on the team. I think that'll be Nolan Aranato, so I'm not going to believe that.
4: Yeah, I'm not going to believe it either. Basically, the same reason as Alex. He's a rookie. It's going to be very tough for him to do. Major League pitchers are still learning to adjust to him. My guess is he's going to be top three, and it will be behind Aranato and Goldie slash Edmond, one of those two.
0: So last year, he finished with a 289 average down in AAA. The year before that, he was around 270. He's kind of been in that range most of his minor league career. So you probably expect if he continues to hit well, 280, 285, something like that as his batting average in the big leagues. I'm going to go ahead and say I believe it. I think that could be enough to be able to earn him the rights of being the number one batting average on the team. The one guy that I'm worried about most is probably Paul Goldschmidt, who has looked excellent recently. His power is starting to come around. He's back up to his typical average and on-base percentages. So I'll say Goldie is the one that would be most likely to threaten him. But yeah, I'll go I'll go Juan Yepes could be the guy that ends up leading this team in batting average. Let's go to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line on the other side. Joey Vitale, Blues analyst for 101 ESPN, is going to join us here on side alex ferrario and tanner hendrickson i'm brandon Kylie. let's go out to the brown and Croupet celebrity line happy to be joined by joey vitale the blues analyst for the blues radio network joey we appreciate the time as always man ahead of this game number six here in st louis how you doing this morning afternoon
7: what's going on guy hey doing great doing really good just off the rink a little bit ago uh, good vibes out at the enterprise center and looking forward to game six here tonight
0: Joey, it looks like the Wilds are going to be going with Cam Talbot in net tonight. We saw the, the change in the Blues mindset over the last couple of games where it was basically get all of the pucks at the net because you know those rebounds are going to be coming off of uh, the blockers from Marc Andre Fleury. Does that change at all with Cam Talbot potentially in net? Uh, you know, it's maybe a little bit. You know, I think that um,
7: Cam Talbot's rebound control is a little bit better than Marc Andre Fleury's. Uh, so I think that the Blues in the you know games one through five they were trying to keep more pucks from the outside low and then drive into the front of the net. I actually think Cam Talbot is uh, pretty good at rebound control, and I think he's not quite as good uh, up and around the ears. And this is in, in the recent history where they have beat him the most was up high. He's a, he's a goaltender that typically likes to drop a little bit early. Uh, the last time he was at the Enterprise Center, I can mean, remember if Justin Falk came down as Minnesota had a great uh, great lead in that game and they kind of were controlling the whole pace. Justin Falk comes down on the short side and just kind of rips it right past his eardrum. And I think that like a play like that kind of really jumps off the page as the kind of kind of goalie that Cam Talbot can be. You know, I, I think that Marc-Andre Fleury has looked very good in this series. Um, I think this is more of Dean Evanson trying to switch up the momentum of the series, much like Craig Berube did. But I think that if you really think about it and if it doesn't go the way of the Minnesota Wilds here tonight, did Dean Evanson wait a little bit too long? I mean, the timing, the timing of a goaltender change to me is the way Craig Berube did it. You want to give it a, give it a few, see how it goes, but you don't necessarily want to be putting a goaltender in a, in a, in a series when they haven't seen the first five games like tonight. And then of course, he hasn't seen a lot of action in a long time and now he's up against, it's, it's an elimination game. So, a lot of pressure. I mean, they're, they're going to find out what one thing's for sure, what, what Cam Talbot is made of. Um, but I love the, the way our coach did it versus the Minnesota coach as far as the timing of when he decided to go to his backup with Bennington, of course, there um, after game three, and then, um, excuse me, game two. And then from there, has been it's been rolling pretty good.
1: Uh, Joe, uh, we all know the success and struggles that Cam Talbot has had against the Blues. But from a player's perspective, can players have a goaltender's number? Like, th- can they know a weak spot on that goaltender and expose them?
7: Yeah, I think it's a little bit in their head. You know, I think you can kind of, you know, quote-unquote kind of own a goaltender when you just feel, feel confident. I think when you feel confident at, on a goaltender, typically you're going to shoot more. You're going to have more authority to throw it at the net. You know, I think of a player like, let's just look in this series, for example, David Perron. The way he's, he's always kind of had his former teammate Marc-Andre Fleury's number for whatever, whatever reason. Of course, they played together in Pittsburgh. They joined together again in Vegas. So he probably saw a lot in practice that a lot of players just did not see. So certainly the scouting report for David Prawn and Flurry was out. And, you know, for David going to the series, knowing that, what did he do? He threw as many pucks at the net as possible because, again, when you have success against a certain guy, you're going to have the confidence to throw more pucks at the cage. And typically when you throw more shots at the net, more are going to go in. So I think that that's where, when you have success against a goaltender, how if you're feeling confident, um, just the the amount of shots you throw at the net are going to increase, which ultimately is going to add up to your success.
0: Joey Vitale is our guest here on 101 ESPN Game 6 tonight here in St. Louis. Uh, Joey, I did want to ask you about Robert Thomas and this Thomas-Buchnevich-Tarasenko line, which we saw reunited a bit in Game number 5, and it sounds like we're going to see them uh, together to start Game 6. What have you seen from them in this series, and is there anything that gives you uh, a belief that they'll be able to get things going offensively again here tonight?
7: Well, I mean, from those three, I, I've seen nothing but um, in them playing better each and every game. You know, I think it was a slow start for, for all three of them. I think, especially Tarasenko, obviously, as he had a booming, you know, natural hat trick during that third period last game, he's obviously taken off. Pavel Buchnevich um, got a couple of assists here recently, so he's starting to feel it here a little bit. And I think Robert Thomas, you know, although he's been off the score sheet from the goal standpoint, I think he has been making some really good plays as well. You know, I, I see the creativity coming. I think Craig Bruby you know, breaking up that line for a little bit and then putting it back together kind of has reignited it. You kind of you kind of lose it and then you bring it back. I think sometimes that's just the shakeup you need, and I think that's what he's done very well is kind of managing these guys, managing the minutes, and knowing sometimes they just need a breathe a little break, maybe a different look, and then you can always go right back to it. And certainly they have. I think since they've been back in that last game, uh, they've looked more cohesive. They're they're working together. I think that when you're working together and you get points, then you start getting point energy. We all see that with Tarasenko. I mean, Jordan Cairo, David Perron is a streaky kid too. So I think that now that they found a little bit of success, I look for them to really have their motor going. But, you know, it really started there to me in game three when you saw Vladimir Teresinko's legs start chugging along. And then last game was Pavel Buchnevich. I mean, that four check um, he had there on Middleton to beat him to the puck to find Vladimir Teresinko for the first goal of that period, first of his three. That to me shows shows me little signs that a player is moving. They're engaged in a game, and uh, not to mention, you know, he took a physical price too. Pavel Bouchnevich lost his front tooth. He got all cut up there in that in that final third period as well. So we were all kind of joking about it on the plane that he couldn't get much uglier, and of course he laughed at it as well. Um, so I can say that because he laughed. But you know, I think just <laughs> things like that. You know, guys are paying the price right now. I mean, you see Ryan O'Reilly. You see this team. You see the way they're moving. You see the way they're they're starting to grab the soul of the Minnesota wild, you know, and, and this is, this is something you, you hear about a lot in playoff hockey is you're not trying to, you're not trying to steal victories from the other team. You're trying to, at the end of the day, you're trying to steal souls. And what that means is like, I think that the blues did it best last game where it was a two, two game heading into that third. Um, but then all of a sudden Tara singles line comes alive. And then Minnesota just, they had nothing. They, they, they just had nothing in that, that they're pretty. And you felt that their, their soul was taken in that moment because, You know, you knew Ryan O'Reilly's line was going. And then all of a sudden, Jordan Cairo came alive a couple games in this series. And now here comes Tarasenko. And you just felt felt Minnesota's bench just kind of crumble, knowing that you're getting scored on from three different lines. And here is that depth that we kept hearing about heading into this series, although it wasn't visible in the first couple games. Now it's starting to come alive. And you just felt that that team was just demoralized. Like, they just didn't have anything else to give. Um, They can't lean on Kaprizov forever, you know. Minnesota Wild, to me, have really just um, shrunken into a very one-dimensional team. I mean, even look at last game. Yeah, it's a close game into third period, but both their goals came from their star player, who's been the most noticeable player in the series, but they're also on the power play. I mean, 5-on-5, five five, it's just, it just, to me, St. Louis is a better team, and, and they're really starting to show it, and the depth's starting to come alive, and they're starting to produce on different levels and different layers, and especially with the final change here tonight. Um, you know, mark my words, that this Blues team, they're going to look to take souls early in this one.
1: Joe final one from me the NHL is all about trends in the playoffs specifically are we starting to see a trend where maybe the fourth line isn't as impactful as it's been in years past because Calgary last night played 11 forwards and seven defensemen the Rangers did it as well and of course the Blues were kind of the trend starters with that
7: yeah you know I think it's just different you know it's just different every year it's different every series different every game you know I know that I know it's fun to look at numbers. It's fun to look at, you know, in recent past, you know, this is what we've been on game six or, you know, of all the game clinch our series clinching games on home ice This is what the blues record is. Sometimes you see trends. Sometimes you don't, you know, I I had a guy once tell me, you know, all this stuff that we talk about in playoffs um, it's entertaining. It's, you know, for people like, you know, BK, you, me and Alex, we, we talk about in the air. It's fun to kind of compare, but the reality of it is, Um, He said it's very similar to when you go to Vegas, you know, and you look at the roulette table and you see the screen right by the spin the wheel thing and and it has all the numbers, the last 15 numbers, whatever it is. And let's just say you you see the last 12 numbers and they're all red. Right. Of course, uh, you know, anyone would look at that and be like, well, the last 12 have been red. It's got to be red. Red's hot. Right. Um, Some guys would come and say, well, red's been exploding. Blacks do. It's got to be black you know, and and the way you look at all these trends in hockey, to me, it's the same as looking at that board at the end of the day, it's, it's still a 47 point, whatever percent chance that it could be red or it could be black. You just, you just don't know. So again, it's, it's fun to look at those things, um, but from a player's perspective, from a coach's perspective, and just quite frankly, the world's perspective, uh, you could throw it all out the window. I mean, this is a 50-50 shot of winning this game here tonight. Um, there's so many things in advantage Minnesota. There's a lot of things in advantage St. Louis. And really, it's just going to come out of puck luck and which team decides to bring it. I, I will say one last thing, though, on, on game or series-clinching games like tonight. Um, it's a fragile team that's up against the brink. Um, it's not necessarily just desperate. It's, I'm going to say it's fragile. It could go one way or another. I mean, as soon as you bury them early, if you can get a couple goals early, what does what the Minnesota Wild players start thinking? They start thinking summer vacation. They start thinking yeah. about what their wife was talking about yesterday about Cancun and, and, and you know Puerto Rico and all these spots that they could go to if they lose, right? Your, your mind starts to drift. To the offseason. So that's what the Blues have to get to early. They have to kind of put that doubt in their in the in a serious clinching opponent's mind right away. But the other it can go the other way very quickly too, where if you give them a little bit of life and they get a couple goals, all of a sudden on the bench you're thinking, dude, we're gonna win this game, and then we're gonna go back home, and then the whole thing can be tr- switched over. So it's it's a very fragile, up and down, peak and valley mindset that every one of those players and coaches from Minnesota is gonna have here tonight. So for St. Louis, you gotta jump them, you gotta jump them early and you gotta kinda instill that doubt right from
0: get go time for the blues to get that one two three cancun moment for the minnesota wild tonight joey we appreciate the time as always man we look forward to seeing you tonight here at enterprise and we'll talk with you again soon man
7: thanks bk thanks You guys have a great day
0: same Absolutely. Joe. Same to you. That's Joey Vitale joining us here on 101 ESPN. We'll get to the junk drawer here in about five minutes or so. Uh, but Alex, I was just going through some of the numbers from uh, Cam Talbot this season to kind of look into, OK, wh- what's the biggest difference between what he did and what Marc-Andre Fleury was as a goalie? Cam Talbot, when he, in terms of the numbers, is as average as an average goalie can be everything that he did this year he did at an average level high danger shots against when it came to the rebounds anything that you can do as a goalie he was basically like if you did a create a player on NHL 22 and you put everything to average in terms of like the the skill levels that would be cam Talbot that's
1: who you're going up against tonight well I never do that on NHL 22 I always create Alex Ferrario and make him a superstar why wouldn't I do something like that but but you're right I, I mean Cam Talbot doesn't blow anybody away with the way that he plays. I mean, that's why Marc-Andre Fleury was the guy that got the start. Some people will look at it as, you know what, Cam Talbot should have been the guy that started game one, because he was the better goaltender, with the exception of the two games against the Blues since the trade deadline, but I think the Blues I I, I don't even think the Blues see a name in between the pipes. They just see an object that they've got to find a way to get the puck passed, and that's what Joe was just talking about there. It's what Barubi talked about in the regular season, kill their will. You find a way to kill their will, you do what in the first period. I don't even know if it needs to be two goals. I think one goal could get this Minnesota Wild team thinking, my God, man, I just don't know if we've got this anymore. So the Blues got to find a way to jump on that really quick to find a way to kill their will, and they have the opportunity with Cam Talbot.
0: In 10 minutes, we're talking about the Cardinals and a potential big trade that has been explored surrounding Xander Bogarts. Does it make sense for the Cardinals to do so? John Morosi joined Carriker and Smallman earlier today, and he said he thinks it is the perfect fit for Xander Bogarts. I'm not sh- so sure I agree. We'll discuss that coming up at 1 o'clock, but next, let's Dive into the Junk Drawer here on 101 ESPN.
3: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario.
5: Brought to you by Together Credit Union. Pay yourself with every purchase. Open and achieve It checking account today.
0: Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Alex, I know you're a grass guy. You've got
1: the green envy. You got me on board. Oh with lawn cutting, okay. I, I didn't know what grass we were talking about there. What I, I just want there be. As an option. Well, if, I mean, I mean if we're talking Illinois, it would probably mean something else, but yes, I am a lawn. I'm a lawn guy. I'm a green envy guy, BK. Uh, okay. I've I've heard something about I've that. I have envy of people's lawns. You've also told us that uh, you have a massive backyard, oh. so you have a riding lawnmower, correct? Yeah, I never said massive, but it's a it's a big backyard, and that's the luxury of living uh, out in the Fenton area. Do you have somewhere that you keep your lawnmower? I do, uh, in my shed. Okay. Are, are you trying to make me sound like I'm this like snooty person that has all of this money? Because I'm the co-host of a midday I'm show. Just making sure you've you got make a, more than I do, man. I'm just making sure you've got a good place to hide it because you know the, this guy
0: that was in Port Arthur, Texas, he might be coming up for your lawnmower. Oh, yeah? So this Texas man apparently like mowed to see try. both the front and the backyard oh, of a home in Port Arthur before stealing the people's lawnmower.
1: Hey. I'll take it. If you just cut my grass for me, I, it's,
0: it's up to my ankles right now. I will tell our entire audience right now, if you want my lawnmower that badly that you're willing to mow my front and backyard to take get it. it, I'm willing. <laughs> like, I'll leave it out for you. I'll take it out of the shed. You can. I will give you the location off air, of course, <laughs> and we can talk about an arrangement here. Take you it. can have it. It's fine. It ain't that big of a deal. This gentleman really did mow the front and backyard at night of these people's um, with these people's lawnmower. It was captured on video, and then he decided, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and take this lawnmower for my services. I appreciate it. I hope this was the correct payment from you guys. Wait, I-,
4: I have a follow-up question. Mm-hmm. There is no follow-up. How did he not get caught if he did it at night?
1: I'm not entirely sure, Tan. That is actually a gr- somebody who's taken some... Uh, re- either really I mean, strong I, I, melatonin or I'm they're a, enjoying the other type of grass. I'm a deep
4: sleeper, but every time that the uh, gr- grass-cutting crew shows up to the apartment complex, I wake up on those days when I hear the lawnmowers going. So, so Marcus I don't know how Hubbard,
0: that's his name. He was captured on the surveillance camera. Hey, Marcus, come on over to my house, man. He was removing the items from their home on April 1st. He was then captured on video, filling the lawnmower with gas, Nice. Mowing the property owner's yard, both nice. the front and the back. Vehicles with their headlights turned on can be seen passing by the home as oh. Hubbard was uh, cutting the lawn. Hold on. Did he ride this back to his house? <laughs> when the officers arrived at the scene. What a boss move. He ran from the area while dragging the lawnmower behind him. He dragged a, a riding lawn, like, <laughs> behind I don't him? think it was a riding. I think it was, oh, a, it was a push mower. Oh. He dragged it behind them off of the scene. And eventually they found it in a nearby alley. They have not found this gentleman just yet. So if you've got any, infor- any information on the Port
1: Arthur Parkler, I hope he's still at, at large. Please, and I hope he's uh, headed to St. Louis. the police down there. I hope he's headed to St. <laughs> Louis, man. Like, please, please come out to the St. Charles area or Benton. Alex in God only knows where well, he's headed. Well, come on, man. It's not a bad area. You just get more bang for your buck. I don't have birds in my attic. That's true. I don't have a, don't have a hole in the side of my house. That's I wish true. I could see. How are those them. birds coming along, man? they just twiddly-dee, dee twiddly dee Still up in that attic?
2: Tweedly, I thought
1: yesterday when I got home, because I went to the Cardinals game last night. Oh, maybe they're Cardinals
0: birds. <laughs> I got home. Yeah, you're
1: right. They're probably blue. It was a quick face. Cardinals
0: game, so I got home at a decent time. I didn't hear them. So I was like, okay, they're, they're probably gone. They, no. they left. I'm I'm all good here. Oh, no, they're dead. Nope. Woke up this morning. Very much still there.
1: You know what you could Tweedling do? Twiddling away. Twiddly-dee,
0: twiddly-dee-dee.
1: Just like that. You know what you should do? Get a cap. And put the cat up in the attic cat will kill the birds cats a lot easier to capture than the birds yeah. or you put your dog up there to get the cat but my dog is as afraid of other animals as they are of her well, maybe you need to buy a
0: little bit more masculine dog I, you're, you're not wrong <laughs> you're, you're very much not wrong there we have bunnies that live out in our yard half the time and so in the morning when i take my dog out she We'll go outside, and you expect, you know, she's going to run around and try to capture the bunnies, right? Nope. Mm -mm. The other day, I let her out. The bunny started walking towards her. (laughs) She sat there. The bunny ended up, like,
1: basically looking her in the eyes, and they just were like, hey, man. The bunny said, oh, you think you're a tough dog? (laughs) You think you're a tough dog? Huh? I'll put you in the hospital. That's what that dog said. That's all right. I think my little dog is uh, going into senile because she stands at the door and barks. And then when we open the door up for her to go outside, she turns and walks the other way. That checks out. So I
0: think that she's going into senality Somebody said the birds are the ones that turned the ring light on in my house. Oh, yeah. It's oh, all starting possible. to come together. Oh. It's all, the tinfoil the theories birds. are all coming together. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, as the playoffs become higher scoring, does that make the fourth line less valuable? And if so... Does that mean Craig Berube was actually a little ahead of the trend on this one? We'll talk about that coming up at 115. But next, John Morosi explained on character and Smallman why Xander Bogarts, that would be a great fit here in St. Louis. I'll explain why I'm not sure I agree with him. We'll do that next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario
3: podcast, presented
0: by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101
3: ESPN.
6: cardinals uh, shortstops and of course paul DeYoung, young part of this uh they've hit a collective 160 this year their ops collectively is 518 the cardinals are a good ball club with an obvious weakness at this position and you've got a, a gold glove winner in tommy edmund you probably want to keep him on the right side of the infield he's been so good over there it just to me is one of the more obvious fits that is out there and uh, i think if bogarts is moved I would expect the Cardinals to be in those conversations until the very last minute.
0: That was John Morosi on with Carrick and Smallman earlier today, saying backing up what he had. He didn't report it, but he suggested earlier this week that the Cardinals would make a lot of sense if somebody is going to trade for Xander Bogarts and alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Alex, it's hard to say with any sort of certainty that. He wouldn't make sense for the Cardinals. He's a really good bat. He plays a position that they absolutely need, and he's not overwhelmingly expensive. He's on a $20 million contract this year, which by the time that there's realistic conversations, he'd be probably closer to $10 million. The Cardinals could afford him, but it's going to cost a lot in prospects currency to be able to acquire a guy like uh, Xander Bogarts. It's probably going to cost one of Liberator or Gorman. And you'd also have the question about, do you end up resigning him to a massive contract after the season? Because he's a guy that is going to probably opt out of his deal. And then there's maybe the biggest issue with trading for Xander Bogarts. Alex, since 2016, there are 21 qualified shortstops in Major League Baseball. Of those 21, how many do you think have been worse defensively in terms of
1: defensive runs saved than Xander Bogarts? Well, Because you're bringing it up, I'm going to say none.
4: I think all have been worse than Xander Bogarts, is what you're trying to tell me here.
0: Xander Bogarts has been the worst. I think that's what you were trying to get at there, Tanner. Xander Bogarts has been the worst in terms of defensive runs saved of all major league shortstops that have qualified for the number of innings necessary since 2016. He has cost his team 52 runs since 2016 the next closest is 43 with Alcides Escobar he's at a minus 43 and then it's minus 27 with DD Gregorius a team stat he is basically twice as bad defensively over the last six years as DD Gregorius and none of us think DD Gregorius is a particularly good defender at shortstop moral of the story Xander Bogarts is not very good defensively I don't know that that's the guy that the Cardinals would be looking to acquire now that being said They're going with somebody right now in Brendan Donovan that doesn't exactly profile as a superstar at the position. I I like what we saw last year defensively from Edmundo Sosa, but we all could admit his profile offensively is nowhere close to what Xander Bogarts is. If you told me, Alex, that the Cardinals traded for Bogarts and that was just their stopgap option for this season, I I could see it. That, That would make some sense for me. But I don't know that they're the type of team that would be willing to give up the cost certainty with a Gorman or a liberator for half of a season of control on Xander Bogarts. I think they would have to get the long-term deal done with him. And I don't think a long-term deal with Bogarts makes sense here in St. Louis. That's the place that I've come to. I don't think that this makes sense for the Cardinals.
1: Yeah. I mean, I I didn't know that, that error stat. That's a really great stat by you. I mean, that definitely is a little concerning considering he would be statistically the worst shortstop. Um, But I, I don't really know. There's, there's, there's not other options like, don't give me the crap of oh, Brennan Donovan's the answer. No, that's what we said about Aledmas Diaz, and it didn't work. Same thing with Edmundo Sosa. Edmundo Sosa looked great. I'd give him a shot, but he's not the long-term answer for you.
0: Are you talk- when you say long-term? Are you talking about for the rest of this year or for like 2023? I mean, I'm talking three and beyond. forward.
1: I'm talking 2023 and okay. moving forward. Like you don't have an option anywhere close other than Mason Win, and if this is a problem which it obviously is, because if it wasn't, Paul DeYoung would still be up here with his struggles. They would—they obviously need an offense from that shortstop position because defense wasn't getting it done for them. They're looking for offense there. So uh, you, my first choice would be just to put Tommy Edmund at shortstop and let Nolan Gorman play second. That would be the ideal scenario here and the one that makes the most sense because I think Tommy Edmond would be fine at shortstop. But if you don't want to do that, I don't see the issue with Xander Bogarts. Like, yeah, you know what? He might not be a gold glove. He's not Ozzy Smith at shortstop for you. Uh, maybe he would be worst case scenario at that position defensively, but I'll take the defensive errors if my guy's going to be hitting 300 for you. But I also know that that, that long term contract isn't ideal for this Cardinals team. So there's a lot of what-ifs that go into this. I just don't know what the answer is beyond this season, and you can't keep going stop-gap, stop-gap, stop-gap until you find somebody because you're always going to have a deficit at shortstop.
4: Yeah, I'm kind of with BK in terms of, you know, I'm not sure he's going to fit in here because his defensive liability. And that at shortstop, if you told me there's one position to have a guy that's not very good defensively, to me, it would be second base rather than shortstop. So, and that, and then that ties into moving Edmund over to short, getting worse there, and also potentially being worse with Gorman at second base. But I don't see the Cardinals making the trade for him just to be a stopgap guy. I, I truly believe that they're going to try and piece it together with Donovan Sosa and uh, Paul DeYoung. If Paul DeYoung gets back up here at the shortstop spot and they won't even make the move for Xander Xander Bogers, I think it makes a ton of sense to do it because of the bat that we're talking about and the way the offense has been kind of uh, struggling so far this season. I just don't know if they're willing to part with the assets it's going to take in terms of hit being a rental and then the contract extension, it's not going to age well. And with the Cardinals deciding to go with a defensive mindset, I I don't think he fits here in in St. Louis. I think if there's a guy that would fit here, in terms of looking at the 2023 free agent market, I don't think it's it's Xander Bogarts. I think the better fit if you're going to look at the free agent market and try and s- solve it there, and you can't trade for him this year because I think Atlanta's going to be competitive. I think it is Dansby Swanson.
0: Yeah, that, that's that's the move. Like that. That's why I asked Alex, what is he is he referencing for the long term? Are we talking about the long term, the rest of this season, or beyond this year in 2023? I think Dansby Swanson is going to be a Cardinal. Like if I had to if I had to predict anything for the Cardinals this off season, sometimes it's not hard to know what they're going to do. Like everybody knew before they signed. um, What's his face? Dexter Fowler, that they were going to sign Dexter Fowler because they needed somebody to be able to play lead off. Everyone knew Johnny Peralta was going to be a Cardinal that offseason. Sometimes their their weaknesses are so obvious and there is a player that makes all the sense in the world that is just like, yeah, that's what the Cardinals are going to do. And it makes all the sense. Honestly, Nolan Arenado, we didn't know what the Rocky side of things was there. But that made all the sense in the world for the Cardinals to go make that move. And sometimes it's okay to just make the obvious move. Dansby Swanson is the most Cardinalsy move of all Cardinals moves. Is he great? No. Is he a perfect defender? No, nah, but he's pretty darn good. He's above average defensively, slightly above average offensively. He's not going to cost you the crazy money that it will require to be able to sign xander bogarts it's probably going to be closer to like 20 million dollars per year than 30 million dollars per year and he's probably going to sign for closer to five or six years than eight to ten years that's a cardinals move now that brings into the question though what what about the rest of this year because i think this team's pretty good i know the record isn't great and they do have their deficiencies but a lot of that is because of what they've had at shortstop so far this season What would it take to be able to acquire Xander Bogarts? If the Cardinals did so, acknowledging this is a one-year stopgap, we know he's going to opt out at the end of the season, and we're okay with that, we're going to let him hit free agency, and then we will fix our shortstop problem next year. What would that require for the Cardinals to give up? Here's John Morosi earlier today on Carriker and Smallman.
6: If it's not Libertor, uh, Gorman could be a natural fit uh, to go in this trade, and the reality is there's going to be enough competition to get Bogarts, that I think you're going to have to give up someone of, of great value, and I think that probably would be either Gorman or Libertor.
0: I do not think the Cardinals would trade Nolan Gorman, a position player with six years of cost certainty, for a guy that's going to play for them for three months. Of course I, not. I would be absolutely shocked.
1: That would be a dumb move
0: by If they Donald made that A-Lock. move. Would you consider doing it with Libertor? No. If the Red Sox said, we will trade you, and I don't know that they would, but if they said straight up, Closer to the trade deadline, maybe it's mid-July. We will trade you Xander Bogarts for Matthew Liberatore.
1: Would you make that kind of a deal? Because it's a pitcher. No. I'm not going to trade any of my top prospects for three months of a guy. Uh, The only way I'm making that trade is if he's going to be back with my team. Uh, And I understand Matthew Liberatore might not be the ace that everyone is making him out to be. But I'm still not going to trade somebody who could potentially be a two or three in my rotation for three months of a guy. So, no, I'm not making that trade unless it's somebody outside of my top ten, which you're not going to get done.
4: I would consider it if I see the offense playing well when we get closer to the deadline. Like If I see Carlson and O'Neill kind of starting to click on all cylinders, of course, you know on and Goldie are going to be there. And if Edmund's still playing well then, yeah, I would be willing to part with a Matthew Libertor or a Zach Thompson to get the deal done because I'm going to keep one or the other, and then I've got Michael McGreevy, who the Cardinals are very high on, who's probably two to three years away. So you have a pretty good plethora of pitching, and your rotation's pretty much set for next year in the years to come, if you think about it. So I would be willing to part with one of them because then I know, okay, if my offense is hitting like we thought it was going to be, not only do you have potentially the mv3 carlson being solid edmund being solid and then you put in xander bogarts into this lineup and he fixes the hole at shortstop for three months then you're talking about a team that has a chance to legitimately compete for the nl pennant in my opinion so yes if if the offense starts hitting then yeah i would be willing to consider it but if o'neill and carlson continue to struggle and we're at july 31st no i can't make the move for xander bogarts and give up one of my top prospects for a three-month rental
0: it's kind of where i'm at um i I would not even consider doing this for Nolan Gorman. Now, if if the Cardinals did something that I I would be shocked if they do. If they actually ended up making this deal and then re signed Xander Bogarts and they said this is our shortstop of, of the now and the future, okay, sure, I could understand how that would make sense. I just I, I would be absolutely stunned if that's a move that this team decides to make. But man, if you look at this rotation, it it is a little difficult to to project where you're going to see Liberator fitting in. Immediately. Like you've got Miles Michaelis right now who's pitching incredibly well. He's got one more year left on his contract. Steven Matz was just signed in the offseason. You expect to be see him as part of your rotation for the foreseeable future. Jack Flaherty has another year of control for him in your rotation. You look at a Dakota Hudson. He's got a little bit of time left here in St. Louis. We'll see what happens with Jordan Hicks. He's got another year left. And then you've got all of those guys that are in single A right now that are probably about two years away from potentially being ready. You're starting to get crowded in that rotation mix. So if you decided, you know what, we actually think that it makes more sense for us to use this asset to fill a hole that we currently have, I could understand how that makes some sense for them. I just, man, it's a really tough thing to be able to do. They would have to know in the offseason, Dansby Swanson or whoever it is, is going to be our guy, and they would have to feel really confident that they're going to be able to sign one of those shortstops in the offseason.
1: Real quick, we got a text on the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780. Why aren't you guys talking about why Mo didn't get a shortstop this offseason when there were plenty (laughs) of elite ones available? Because it was the exact same reason why the Xander Bogarts trade's not going to happen. They all costed too much, and the Cardinals aren't going to do that. If they're not going to sign a guy for 250 mil, they're not going to trade one of their top prospects for a guy for either three months or having to pay him 250 mil. Have yeah. They? Also, we've criticized them. <laughs> I think they should well, yeah. have signed Carlos, Carlos Correa was right there
0: for you, and it was an easy sign. I understand them not going the five years or six years on going. Trevor Story, who yeah. by the way has really struggled so far and this I year, get the or Howie totally understand them not doing the Corey Seager, who might have to transition somewhere else. Uh, the Marcus Simeon, he's already playing second base. I think that transition has been made for him now. At this point, he's he's not a shortstop anymore. The
1: ones that make sense are this offseason. Trey Turner. Dansby Swanson, and potentially Carlos Correa again.
0: Yeah. Th- those were the ones. Th- those were the ones that made sense. And, and Carlos Correa is the one that I-, I do think it's fair to be a little critical of. It is a massive amount of money. He got $35 million guaranteed to him for the 2022 uh, season. But it's only a one-year deal. And-, and that that is the one that I think, if you're going to be critical of them, that's the one that is fair to be critical of. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll talk about Miles Michaelis and what he has done for the Cardinals so far this year. Has he replaced what you expected to get out of Jack Flaherty? We'll get into that coming up at about one thirty or so. But coming up next, does the fi- Blues game plan at 5-on-5 five five change as Cam Talbot is now coming into net for the Minnesota Wild? We'll talk about that next year on 101 ESPN.
3: We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
0: Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kyle. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Alex, this series has changed at five on five. In the in games two and three, the Blues were outscored seven to one at five on five, even strength basically. Over the last two games, the Blues have outscored the Wild 6-2. to It essentially flipped over the last couple of games the way that the series had been won. I said that this was going to be all about special teams in game number five. I couldn't have been more wrong about that. The Blues won even strength. That's how they won the game. Does that change at all in your mind? With Cam Talbot coming in to play tonight, most likely for the Minnesota Wild?
1: No, I don't think so. I think what they did to beat Marc-Andre Fleury is what they need to do to beat Cam Talbot. Uh, And frankly... It's how you beat any goaltender in the National Hockey League. I mean, Craig Ruby laughs at the question all the time, but like that's the approach when you face a goaltender is get bodies in front of the net, take his eyes away, and make it difficult for him. But I think for Cam Talbot, you got to imagine there's a little shakiness going into this with Cam to the point of you haven't played at all this postseason. You know that you have struggled. Like I think the decision from Dean Evason, if Minnesota was taking on anybody but St. Louis on the first round, I think Cam Talbot would have started game one. But I think they they had the knowledge that Cam Talbot struggled in the Winter Classic against this team and lost both games in overtime against this team. So they said, oh, we're going to go with Marc-Andre Fleury, who's got a little bit better of a, a record against St. Louis. There's going to be some shakiness in there. And I said it earlier, I don't believe the Blues know, well, they'll know, but I don't think they care who's in between the pipes. I think it's just an object for them. Now but the Blues have the opportunity to exploit this mismatch to where Cam Talbot's given up goals off of the rush with this Blues team. They've been able to create a lot of open ice opportunities on Cam Talbot, but I think the game plan stays the same at 5-on-5. Five five. It's it's put the puck in front of the net and create those rebound opportunities, and when you do that, you're going to beat no matter who is in between the pipes for the opposition. So I always find it interesting,
0: anytime you ask an athlete, who was who the guy, like I love asking pitchers this, who's the guy that gave you the most trouble? At the plate. And they'll they'll be able to name it right off the bat. And sometimes it's just the most obscure player. And and it's like, uh, this guy, I just couldn't get him out. I don't know why. He had a 220 batting average in his career. But every time against me, he basically became Barry Bonds. And it seems like, to your point, Alex, for Cam Talbot, it's a team, not a player, that gives him those issues. It's the St. Louis Blues. In his career against this team, it's not Terrible, seven, seven, and six overall, but he's got an 8.82 save percentage against this team. It has not gone particularly well for him over the years, especially of late. They've just had his number. I can't explain it. You can't explain. It. It's hard to explain sometimes why things happen the way that they do. But the Blues have had Cam Talbot's number. I think they probably went to Marc-Andre Fleury because of his playoff success more so maybe than anything that they've seen specifically from the Blues. But now it doesn't matter. Now it's about what can the Blues do against this guy tonight. And, man, we've said this all series long. It's all about the start to me. I remember being here last Friday night for, what was that, game three? And the Blues got off to that sluggish start. There were a couple of breakaways that go the other direction. And this arena was stunned absolutely stunned. It sucked the life out of the arena, and they never got back into it, really. If the Blues are able to get off to a hot start in this one, you get up 1-0 early. Maybe it's 8 minutes in, 12 minutes left in the first period. Blues go up 1-0. Man, you you could at that point, if you go up 2-0 at some point, late first, early second, something like that, you could suck the life out of the Minnesota Wild because then they know the only card that they had left to play it didn't work. Cam Talbot couldn't save them. It wasn't enough. And they couldn't get things going offensively. They couldn't solve the Jordan Bennington riddle. Whatever it is... I think that if the Blues are able to get going early, that's going to be the game changer to me.
1: Absolutely. I mean, Joe Vitale said it to us. you got to suck or take the soul from the opposition. It sounded eerily similar to the storyline of the Avengers movie, but whatever it might be, <laughs> uh, Joey basically said, like, you you kill the will of the opponent. It's what Craig Berube has talked about, and that's why the starts have just been the most important thing for every team in this series. I mean, still... Through five games, the team that scores first wins the hockey game. Now, the only difference is in Game Five, the Blues would not are the Blues would score first, but they would have to make a comeback, which was the first comeback in this series. But in in a situation like this, and again, this is where the experience comes into play for the Blues because the O'Reillys, the Perons, Um, The guys who have been on the team for the Blues in 2019 that closed out the series on home ice in game six against Dallas and San Jose. um, Those are the guys that know the importance of this game tonight, and they know the importance of the first shift. I think there's going to be two storms that the blues are going to have to weather in this one. It's going to be the first 5 to 10 minutes in the first period because Minnesota's going to come out trying to hit everything. And the blues can exploit that. And it's also going to be that last 10 minutes of the third period. Whether they're up or down, they're going to have to find a way to weather that storm of the Minnesota Wild. And I think if they can find ways to do that, you put the momentum on your side early and I don't know if Minnesota's going to be able to steal that back.
0: Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie, lots of blues coverage throughout the day today right here on 101 ESP and the Fastlane will be loud. Live from Enterprise Center, following us from 2 to 6 o'clock. We'll have your Blues playoff preview from 6 to 7. And then from 7 to 7.30, you will have a special edition of the Last Minute Blues podcast. 7.30 to 8.30 is your typical Blues pregame with Alex Ferrario, Tanner Hendrickson, and myself. And then at 8.30, we'll have the puck drop right here on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll get to the BK and Ferrario rewind. But next, if you could put some pixie dust, Alex. Some magical pixie dust on any Cardinals player and he suddenly becomes his peak form. Who would you go with? We'll talk about that next year on 101 ESPN.
3: We're right back to the PK and Ferrario Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101
0: ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. I need to rephrase this. Before the break, I said, if you could magically improve any Cardinals player oh, you said and get them into their on. peak form, who would it be? The answer to that question is, of course, Albert Pools, because you've got the best right-handed hitter of the last 20 years. So, yeah, I, I understand. <laughs> Have there been a lot of texts coming form, in? yes. Peak form, you would obviously take that version of Albert Pools. Dang <laughs>
4: it, i got go to go mean is board. what. Okay, what peak you form believe of the to age. be their
0: current <laughs> peak form. Albert pools <laughs> is not going to go back, I I don't think, to being the best hitter in baseball again. So uh, let's put it that way. Whatever you believe to be the the best version of that current player, who would you put the magical pixie dust to get that version out of them right now? Alex, I'm going to start with this one, and I'm going to take who I would imagine you guys probably would think is the obvious candidate. It's Tyler O'Neill, Albert Poulos. <laughs> Tyler O'Neill's peak form right now is basically what we saw last year, where he can be a 35 home run hitter. He could hit 90 plus RBIs for you, be a middle of the order bat, steal 15 bags, play gold glove defense for you in left field. They're just not getting that from him right now. Earlier today, he had the bases loaded. Albert Pujols took a 10 pitch walk and he went up there. And was it three pitches that he struck out on? I believe he struck so. out on three or four. I don't yeah. remember if it was three or four pitches. He just does not look right mentally right now. I don't think there's anything physically wrong with him. I don't think it's a swing issue. He's just, maybe it's timing. I don't really know what the explanation is, but he's already had at least two, maybe three quote unquote work days so far this season, including one yesterday. And it's just not clicking for him. And I can't explain why. So if I could just put some magical pixie dust on Tyler O'Neill and he became basically what he was last year, I think that solves a lot of the issues that the Cardinals are going through offensively right now.
1: Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think he's the only option with this because I don't really know any, I mean, maybe Dakota Hudson, but I mean, I, I don't think Dakota Hudson has Boy, there's your been, love for
4: your boy Dakota uh, Hudson well, right there. No,
1: I'm, just, <laughs> I'm going back to pre-Tommy John surgery, but I, I mean, I don't even think he's been a liability for this team this yeah. season. Well, you want to make a John Gantt reference again? I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Maybe worry about the guy on the mound who's a liability. My concerns with him
0: are much more long-term than they are what he's been so far this year. Uh, his results have been
1: fine. They I have just, not hurt you. I just don't know. I mean, maybe you'd say Paul DeYoung in this circumstance so you can get the 30 home run hitter. But, I mean, even then, I don't know if that would really make that much of a difference. I think the proper answer here is Tyler O'Neill. I just don't know. Well, another one might be Stephen Matz. Yeah, but I mean, I feel like we're, we're getting Steven Matz, like we're getting two thirds of the time. We're getting Steven Matz. It's just that one outing every third start that he just blows up and is gone in the second. That's inning. Uh, but, but the other
0: thing, strangely enough, and I apologize for cutting you off here, Alex, he's through five innings now and he's allowed one earned run. It looked like an abject disaster early on in this uh, in this start. The
1: results have actually been fine now. Well, this he, is the Steven Matz, though. <laughs> now, next start, when we see Steven Matz, it's going to be eight runs in two innings, and he's out. So, like, okay. that, that's just what we've gotten with this. I, I just – I don't know. Maybe I'm missing somebody. There's just – there's nobody else that I can sit here and think of and say, who do I want back to peak form other than Tyler O'Neill? Because, I mean, you've got the guy hitting fifth in your batting order right now. At one time this season, he was hitting sixth. He's hitting sixth today. Is so, he? Yeah. So he's sixth today. It's pretty obvious that something is not right with Tyler O'Neill. I guess my concern comes into play of so we've got Paul DeYoung who's struggling, you've got Tyler O'Neill who's struggling. And you've got Dylan Carlson, who's looking a little bit better, but still struggling. Yeah, he's been, I think he's batting 330 over his last, like, 10 games so or so. Got so he's starting, starting to, to turn it around. And, and I know everyone is going to think, oh, well, Ferrari's about to blame Jeff Albert. Thank God. But, but like, you can't because Tommy Edmonds hitting. Brendan Donovan has come up and hit. Juan Lopez has come up and hit. And you've got Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt. I would just really start to get concerned if I'm Ali Marmol on the hitting side of things of what is wrong with Tyler O'Neal. Maybe he's just a late bloomer like Paul Goldschmidt is. Maybe. I think that's the hope.
4: Yeah, that definitely. If not You're in trouble. Yeah, if not, you don't have. That's the whole reason. Remember last year we did the 20 most poor Cardinals. The reason I had DeYoung young at one was because he was going to be that cleanup hitter for you. If you don't have Tyler O'Neill hitting his peak, he's not. You don't really have a cleanup hitter on this team. So if he can't, if you can't get him back to form like he was last year, I mean, like today they've got Wanya Pez hitting cleanup for them. Look, Juan Pez is a good hitter. Is he really going to be a cleanup hitter for this team down the stretch? I, I don't think so. Is he really a guy that I think he might be you? batting
0: second later on?
4: Maybe, maybe. I, I. But like, if I, if I told you Juan Yapez, would you really view that as like a uh, scares the pitcher to throw to the cleanup hitter for the St. Louis Cardinals? Look, like I get it. No. He's hot now, but he doesn't terrify people. Tyler O'Neal, what he did last year scares people dylan carlson if he can get back to form that's another guy that i would consider throwing some of this pixie dust on just because if he could get back to what he did last year you're talking about this lineup being a little bit stretched out and i get it he's playing better of late but his numbers still aren't reflecting of what he was able to put up last year because i think he's got 20 home run power can drive in 70 to 80 rbis and right now he's not showing that for he's only got one home run on the year so if you can get those two guys going again then this lineup really starts to lengthen out but if you don't you're going to have some holes, and you're only going to, like, right now, I'm not sure I would pitch to Nolan Arenado. I I would no. make Juan Lopez beat me. And honestly, when uh, Albert was up today with, I think it was first and second before he drew the walk, I would have pitched around him to take on Tyler O'Neill. Now, honestly, they didn't truly do that. They did walk Albert. But I would have pitched around Albert Pools in a lefty versus righty matchup and gone against Tyler O'Neill Tyler right now just because he's struggling and can't seem to get things going.
0: And that's where, like... Let's talk about this against right-handed pitching, because that's what you see about seventy percent of the time in Major League Baseball. Like you look at the top four in your order, I think you're fine: Edmund, Goldie, Arenado, Yepes. And you can, I, I think, I would probably construct it a little bit differently. Like if if, if they actually believe in Juan Yepes. I think he's eventually going to be either your two or your three hole hitter. I do not think he'll back clean up. I think that's probably where Nolan Arenado ends up again. He, It's kind of the equilibrium where he always reverts back to that, that cleanup hitter. That That's where he wants to be. It's where I think he will eventually be. The problem is against right-handed pitching, Albert's not going to be in the lineup. Tyler O'Neill hasn't been performing. Dylan Carlson maybe would be your five-hole hitter, but even even last year against right-handed pitching, that's where he was weaker. So you just don't have a clear-cut 5-6 in your order right now, and that needs to be O'Neal and Carlson. Those are the two guys that should be in that spot where you've got every game you know six guys we really trust in our order. And if you can get to that point, you're in a place where your lineup is fine. That's not going to be an issue for you. But until you get there, this or, this lineup is, like today, going to be hit and miss, man. You've just got too many guys that are not consistently going to the plate with any sort of confidence right now. And I don't know how they get out of that, but if you could have anybody just turn it on right now and you feel good about where your lineup is it's it's I think it is Tyler O'Neill. he's the guy that changes the way that this lineup looks
1: absolutely and, and you know I don't want to overreact and start hitting panic buttons but like I mean, if you can't find a way to hit today you're going to lose two or three to the Baltimore Orioles, and it's solely going to be because of your offense. And I don't want to hear any more about
0: the pitching that they're going up no. against. Oh, like I, this is ridiculous. Today. Good stuff today. No, from get the, the hell out
1: of here. Brady Aiken is not good stuff,
0: man. I I just I'm not even sure. was that like his name? they they did this against Kyle yeah. Bradish
1: as well, where
0: it was like, yeah, this guy is really young. He's really man. It's Kyle Bradish. He scored two runs against him scored none against pablo lopez who's good i understand he's a very good pitcher none against chris bassett none against merrill kelly none against brad keller those guys are like number two or three starters you got to do something against them i'm not saying you got to put up seven runs against brad keller can you get me three can you can you give can you at least get to the like least the most amount of runs that they can give up where it's still a quality start if I can do that against you, I at least have a chance going into the bullpen. The Cardinals' offense is not even giving them a chance
1: right now. What's their runners in scoring position in this series against Baltimore? I know that's a hard question to throw probably, out where it, we can't come
4: up. It's probably gonna be skewed because of the outburst last of night. Yesterday. Yeah,
1: I guess that's true. Yeah, but I mean, this was a problem for the Cardinals before they went out and acquired Paul Goldschmidt, where they were—I mean, they were awful with runners in scoring position. And you know, you went out to get those weapons, and now. I mean, you can't even blame those two because those are the guys, like right now, one through three is great for you, and it's once you get past one through three that the problems start to persist, and and you just got inconsistency the rest of the way through, and frankly, we all were fooled a little bit thinking that uh, that was going to be a dangerous weapon for this Cardinals team, the middle of the order, and it has not been. Hey, alongside Alex
0: Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm uh I'm Ron Burgundy. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks. You were there. I am Brandon Kylie. It's BK Ferrario on 101 ESPN. It's a long day already, man. You probably should go home and take a nap. <laughs> nope, I'm going to be here out, out here all day long. Coming up from 2 to 6, the Fast Lane is going to be live from Enterprise Center. If you've got tickets to game number 6 tonight, be sure to get out here a little bit early. Enjoy the Bud Light happy hour pregame party at the Anheuser-Busch Beer Garden. Beginning two hours prior to puck drop, enjoy live music, food, and drink specials. And stop by the 101 ESPN take able to get registered to win a signed blues jersey coming up next let's hit the bk and ferrario rewind here on 101 espn
3: we're right back to the bk and ferrario podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn
0: ferrario and tanner hendrickson i'm brandon kiley it's bk and ferrario on 101 esp and let's hit the bk and ferrario rewind now if you missed anything from today's show be sure to check it out on the podcast page they're all presented by dobbs tire and auto centers alex i've heard a lot of cardinals fans asking themselves or asking us some something to the degree of hey why isn't nolan gorman up yet you're seeing all of these struggles from the lineup why haven't they brought gorman up Well, I was reading earlier today on Fangraphs, and here's what they wrote about the Cardinal shortstop situation, and specifically as it pertains to Nolan Gorman. Said he chased sliders at a 40% rate, not good, during last year's second-half stint at Memphis, even while trimming his strikeout rate. In updated notes, their prospect guru said that Gorman is still swinging over sliders well below the strike zone, and he has developed a new vulnerability in his swing as well. He is now struggling to make contact with pitches high in the upper third of the zone. He described Nolan Gorman's play at second base as, quote, barely playable, suggesting that his ceiling could be a below average second base defensively. God, no. This is one man's opinion. Oh, but when we have the conversation about why Nolan Gorman is not up here, the answer very well may be more simple than we're let leading on. He's not ready defensively, and he might at this point be bad defensively at second base. So you might be below average at shortstop with Tommy Edman and bad defensively at second base. And you also have the highest ground ball rate in Major League Baseball with your pitching staff right now. It's not a great formula for success when your offense is also struggling and you're putting a ton of pressure on Nolan Gorman to come up, struggling defensively, potentially. And then I'm ready to go offensively. Seems like a lot of pressure for a young player. So that's part of it. And the other part is the strikeouts. If he has a vulnerability in his swing, A with sliders, that's that's typical. Most young players struggle with that. It's a it's a tough pitch to lay off of. We've seen that with Tyler O'Neill. We saw it with Harrison Bader. A lot of guys struggle with that pitch down and away. If he also has a vulnerability up with a four seam fastball, man, they are going to exploit that real quick. So that might be a simple a simple explanation as to why he is not up to
1: I'm that. I'm a little worried with Nolan Gorman that he's he's Tyler O'Neill and Paul De Young. The more I'm hearing about this, and the more we're seeing, like I think he just hit his 13th or 14th home run in Triple A this season earlier, um, which is great. But we're also seeing the ramifications of that with Tyler O'Neill. It's boomer bust with this guy and Paul DeYoung. It was boomer bust, and he was sent down to Triple A. You just can't afford if you're the Cardinals to to have another player like that in your lineup. You, you've got to start getting some consistency. That's why you're trailing the Baltimore Orioles one to nothing right now. Nolan Arenado hits a double, and you've got two outs and. It's boom or bust, and this team's got to start getting a little bit more consistency. I think Juan Yepes is a guy that helps in that regard. He, he's somebody that yeah. does hit
0: for a little bit more contact, and I think it's helped their lineup that they've got another one of those guys in there.
4: Yeah, I think you could get away if you put Gorman and O'Neill in the same lineup. It's just Gorman's going to strike out at an even higher rate than he already is. I mean, Alex, you mentioned he hit his, I think it's his 14th home run today with Memphis. He struck out three times in today's game as well. So, I mean, you're <laughs> seeing exactly the exact thing that they're talking about in that report from Fangraphs. I mean, I, I start to wonder if no Nolan Gorman even gets a call up this year. I think at some point you will see him, but I mean, everything we talk about of the Cardinals saying, Hey, we want to stick with Tommy Ebon at second base and, you know, we'll figure out shortstop with a Sosa or give Donovan a chance. I mean, it's clear the two things that the Cardinals want Gorman to work on are defense. And if that's, if, what that guy is saying in the fan report is yeah he doesn't look good defensively they're going to keep him down there because i don't think they want to call him up and just say hey come up here and get every day at bats against a right-handed pitcher and be our designated hitter one you have Juan you doing that and two they seem gung-ho on allowing him to get starts at second base and work on being a infielder to build confidence up when he gets up here so i i start to question whether what the future is for nolan gorman because the plans for him are just really confusing and the cardinals just don't re- at least they probably have a plan, but they're not really giving it out to us to where we don't really have any idea.
0: The other thing, is just like, think about it from Nolan Gorman's perspective. Can you imagine coming up to the big leagues knowing this lineup is struggling right now? You're going to be counted on to immediately make a difference. You potentially struggle early on, which is what has happened for him in the minors. Every time that he goes up a level, he struggles for about two weeks, and then he figures it out. He, he makes that adjustment. Now imagine struggling for two weeks at the big league club level, While your team is struggling offensively and they were counting upon you to be a big piece of what is going to fix that lineup and then oh by the way you're transitioning to a new position you're struggling defensively The balls that are hit at you are a little bit harder than they were down in the minors and you boot a couple of balls and now you're losing all kinds of confidence everywhere. Man, that ain't a great way to come up to the big league level. So, yeah, I think that explains why he's not up at the big leagues right now. And now the question becomes, when does he? When is he going to be ready? And what does that mean for the Cardinals at shortstop? Right now, it means that they're going with Brendan Donovan there. I think he deserves a little bit of an extended runway if he continues to hit. And if not, I bet you we see it Mundo Sosa here pretty soon. That's as simple as it's going to be for Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks. And I'm Brandon Kylie. We will be back with you coming up at six o'clock for the Blues playoff preview show. The last minute Blues podcast at seven. Pre-game starts at seven thirty. Puck drop for game number six right here on 101 ESPN at eight thirty. Coming up next, it is the Fast Lane live from Enterprise Center here on 101 ESPN.